Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss who the hell's Bucky. Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a Marvel recap podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic universe. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me is co-host Danny Vincent. And someone else is in our Discord server. It looks like it's Caleb S. Bunn. Hey guys. Caleb S. Bunn, who are you? I'm Caleb S. Bunn. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, Happy to be on here. So tell us how you know me or Tyler. Or the podcast in general. Well, I first met Tyler about an hour ago when I hopped onto the dis- this Discord call. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually surprised you never met. I'm actually surprised I never introduced you two. I feel like you would have got along. There's a very good chance that we cross paths at SIU, and I just don't remember. Yeah. But I met, uh, Danny and I met in film school. Uh, we were taking a screenwriting class together, and then he invited me to see Sicario, and then we became friends. <laughs> was that really the first movie we saw together? Uh, wow. I think so. It was. Uh, that's that's actually kind of funny. That was Sicario, honestly, because <laughs> you don't like it. I remember you don't like Sicario, or at least you didn't like it as much as our friends did. Not to get off on Sicario, but my thing with it is I have trouble connecting to stories about the cartel. I just don't find it interesting. Um, but it's certainly a well-made movie. But I was very much the odd one out. Yeah, I just checked on Letterboxd, and it is indeed logs our first movie together. And then it doesn't look like we saw another movie together in theaters until Zootopia, which is kind of crazy. The first year we met, we didn't go to many movies together, it looks like. Well, that certainly changed. Yeah, I know, exactly. Uh, Caleb is someone who I uh, drove very long <laughs> to go see a movie in theaters uh, recently with. So, Caleb is a, Caleb's a bro. Uh, and, uh, anyway, so, let's see, uh, next question is, uh, what is your favorite Marvel movie? Um, so my favorite MCU film is the one we're talking about today, but my favorite Marvel movie, um, when you include, like, Fox Marvel and Sony and all that, is X2, X-Men United, um, Mm, starts out with, uh, a scene with my favorite, one of my favorite superheroes, Nightcrawler. It's based on the amazing God Loves, Man Kills. I think it's the best X-Men movie um, in terms of like showcasing the whole team. And I love the X-Men. I'm actually surprised. I didn't know that was your favorite X-Men movie. And I'm surprised it's never come up before. Uh, that's where I'm like, wow, I can't believe we never talked about that. I'm sure it has. But also the X-Men, like Fox X-Men, the beauty of Fox X-Men was that they didn't matter and they weren't. Like, unless a movie was coming out that week, they were never that relevant. Which yeah. made it very relaxing to keep up with them. It's true, yeah. yeah. My mom, that's why I think they were my mom's favorite uh, superhero movies until Apocalypse came out, and then I don't think she ever saw Dark Phoenix. Because, you know, it's like, Days of Future Past works, isn't it? And she didn't see Logan either, but that's because she doesn't like watching R-rated movies. Uh, mm. yeah. Logan is, you can skip Logan if you're a, if you're a parent, I think. yeah. I like it, but yeah, I would agree. Uh, you know, can I ask a question that's not here, which is just to explain how you are our first guest who is really actually into the com. Oh, you know, Kevin was too, but you can talk about the comics 
if you, your relationship to Marvel Comics, if you'd like, a little bit. Sorry, Tyler, I know I'm going off script. Sorry. You're good. <laughs> yeah, so I got into, you know, I grew up reading some comics, but I got into reading comics, like, more consistently in high school. And it was around the time Spider-Gwen was introduced, which was just a good jumping on point. Um, so that's most of my exposure to Marvel was, um, I think that was around 2014, whenever the original original Spider-Verse uh, crossover That sounds happened. about right. Because four, four years to make a movie makes it sound about right. You know what I mean? And then Miles, I know, was like 2012. So go on. Um, and then, so I kept you know, gain into stuff, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, you know, uh, Miss Marvel when that came out. Um, but my biggest Marvel hook is probably the X-Men. Um, and to the point where like, I read every X-Men book now and my wallet is hurting because of it. Um, but I find <laughs> Marvel is just such an interesting company because DC, not to compare the two too much, but, um, you know, DC's characters are more like, they're more like paragons than they are characters where Marvel characters are defined by how human and how broken they are. Um, I think, mm. and of course everything was filtered through this idea people had of Marvel that Stanley curated and how real that idea actually was in reality is up to debate. But um, it means that the company Marvel has a very interesting like narrative that you can read through the comics. Yeah. Yeah. I li- I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, when you said that, it reminded me of something I read earlier this week about Stanley, which is pretty much exactly what you said, which was the idea of it being different than DC, because it's about actually human characters. Uh, but, yeah. Cool, Danny, you yeah, read something on the internet, I, right? <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. I, I, I think, I, I do want to touch touch on that. Like, I think that is one uh, one thing that works really well with uh, I'm, I don't have much experience with the Marvel comics, but um, regarding just superheroes in general, um, I think why they're such why we as the audience, you know, relate to them so much and have such a strong connection to superheroes is because of that human human aspect. And you look at like uh, pro, uh, projects such as Amazon's uh, The Boys, um, where these superheroes are. They, you know, they have these significant flaws in them, um, and they're not all that they're cut up to be. And it's and uh, and then also you look at like uh, well, Amazon again, uh, Invincible, <laughs> Invincible. You know, with uh, <laughs> this is the Amazon podcast, but uh, Bezos, give yeah, us some money, please. funded by Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Bezos, please, please. Give us money, donate. No, <laughs> Bezos, you're invited um, on the podcast whenever you want. <laughs> As long as you pay us um, at least point zero zero one percent of your net worth. Oh my goodness! Still so much money. <laughs> but it, anyways, yeah, I like it's that uh, it's that connection with the with you know that human connection. That's that's what we've all got. You know, all got in common. Yeah. Sorry, I'm rambling in circles. No, I think, and that reminded me of like. Um, when I did an Invincible uh, episode on one of my other podcasts, we were talking about how whenever you parody superheroes, you parody the DC ones. And I think that's because there's something so unique um, to the Marvel characters where it's harder to mm-hmm. it's harder to like um, simplify and then parody someone like Spider-Man 
than it is someone like Superman. Yeah, yeah. I think the only these Marvel char- character I've seen parody often would be Captain America. Uh, and I, I see that even, uh, maybe I'm wrong, maybe Kale probably can correct me if I'm wrong, but for example, the upcoming Suicide Squad movie, James Gunn, I feel like from what I've seen in the marketing, Peacemaker seems like he's supposed to be a play off of Captain America. Uh, like, you know, Captain America gone wrong. I might be I might be totally wrong. I'm just saying what the marketing makes it look like. It might be because Peacemaker started at a different company and then was bought by DC. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not sure what the origins there were. He certainly he certainly very easily can be a parody of like more nationalistic heroes. All right. So our next question is is WandaVision good? <laughs> no. And it never no! was. <laughs> there was I did like the Halloween episode. Um, and I can understand why other people enjoyed the show. Um, but those, man, I, I did not enjoy it. Um, Should especially like the, episode five. Yeah, that's the only one. Yeah, that's the Halloween one, right? No, that's episode six. Episode five is the Family Matters ish episode where uh, it ends with them having the argument with the credits going over their faces. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it was fine. <laughs> Listen, like you're I would, killing me. <laughs> I, I would say that WandaVision is just a fine show, but I think those last two episodes, especially the second to last one, are hot garbage. Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I, can I, I didn't it. like yeah. the second to last episode, so sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. So our next question is: Our good friend Tori Estes is, and what? Oh, I'll add her caveats when I'm done reading the question: Is who do you consider to be the worst or least favorite adventure? Now, here's the deal: it has to be MCU. It has to be an Avengers-affiliated character, which means, in terms of the Guardians, if you want to count the Guardians, you can only choose Nebula or Rocket. Okay. I don't. We don't consider any of the other ones to be Avengers because they weren't okay. affiliated with the Avengers that long. Um, Likewise, s- yeah. It's so just go. Pick and so worst favorite. is in it, this is like my least favorite, not like in yes, terms not of like the effectiveness. Weakest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I hate to bag. I hate to bag on Scarlet Witch, but. Before WandaVision, which is the you know all the movies she's been in, she had no character and also just very generic and uninteresting powers. Um, I think there are mm. a lot of Avengers characters who just kind of you forget about, like War Machine. He's technically Avenger, but you don't often think about him. Um, I yeah. think about WandaVision because I think about how much of a waste of potential that character is. Or not WandaVision, mm. Wanda. Well, Danny, do we want... Do we want to answer answer the question? You no, know, we'll give ours. I'm just trying to. I'm still trying to figure out whose mine is. You know, this is this was a tough question. It's a oh, really okay. good question. So I'm opening up the Wikipedia page for the Marvel team roster. For oh, I know my answer. I know my yeah. answer. Oh yeah, it's good. I know it's who Spider it Man. Yeah. It's I yeah. hate I hate Tom Holland Spider Man. I don't know why yeah. I had to look this up. It's so obvious. I was you like, even oh, alluded duh. to it last week. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's Spider Man. I hate Tom Holland Spider Man. I do like him more in Avengers movies though. To be clear, I do like him more in Avengers movies, but he is the worst of the main Marvel heroes right now. So, yeah, Tom Holland Spider-Man. I'm sad y'all didn't ask me who my favorite Spider-Man was. Oh, do you just want to say super quick? Yeah. Uh, it's the Sir one Carney? from... It, yeah, it's the one from Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> you know, we should... Uh, we, we, do you want to tell the podcast your experience of Turn Off the Dark? Because it's very special. Me and Tyler were talking about this before Danny got on the call. Um, I saw it on Broadway, uh, and <laughs> there's something... Was it version a, one or two? Uh, version two. Um, 
there was something about the spectacle of it, which I don't think I haven't seen the bootleg, but just from hearing y'all talk about it, I don't think that the bootleg catched where it's just like there was constantly just a ton of stuff happening and it was kind of overwhelming, but also really mm. fun. It's a bad I think the bootleg captures that because you can tell the, the bootlegger is really struggling with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. Like it's a bad m- musical. But man, if I could go back and see it again, I would. Um, I have my playbill here, which no one on the <laughs> podcast can see. But yes, and, and I even have some of Spider-Man's webbing. <laughs> oh, wow. that's cool! It's you just saved like that. So lo- it's ten years old. That's ten-year-old silly string, right? This, there. Spider-Man's this is a fraud. antique. It's, it's supposed to dissolve after silly two string. hours. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so Tyler, you got to pick your least favorite. Before yeah, we- my least my least favorite Avenger is going, and I know we just had six <laughs> weeks of this character, but it's it's Falcon. But I think it's because of Anthony Mackie. I I don't like the- he just acts like an <laughs> for no reason a lot of the times, and it's we don't really get that in the Winter Soldier. But then throughout like the rest of his appearances in the MCU, he's kind of just. Yeah, it's but also knowing from Anthony Anthony Mackie, I hate him in Ant Man. I've said that before. I really don't like him in Ant Man. Yeah, and and like watching interviews with Anthony Mackie, uh, I'm like, okay, this is he's bringing him himself to the character, which I know every actor is going to bring a little bit of themselves to a character, but he could have left that <laughs> that that part of himself. Back in the uh, back in the changing room, yeah. Anyway, wait before we before we give us our question, I want to put out two things because I have the Wikipedia page open that I think are pretty funny. One is Doctor Strange is not listed as an official Avenger. Did you guys know that? He's never joined. Like he just happened yeah. to kind of be. That with makes Tony. sense. Yeah, he was just uh, like, "Hey, congratulations on the wedding." Yeah, and, uh, then, and the yeah. other big thing that I like is that these have uh, notes about when they died or left. Uh, mm. And uh, Natasha Romanoff's is listed as died in a time heist, which hyperlinks back to the Avenger the the Avengers page that you're already on. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to point that out. That time heist is hyperlinked to just return to where you already are. Uh, all right, so now t- club. Caleb, you have to give us a question for our next guest. So since I know who your next guest is, and I know that um, they are not the biggest on uh, the MCU, uh, I would wonder what if she was given free reign of Marvel, what if she could only change like one or two things, what would she change about Marvel to to make it more in line with what she thinks would be good? Oh, this is going to be an interesting one for us to answer, too. Yeah, because I I know I'll be blunt. I'm gonna say right now I don't want to give like a cheeky answer where it's like, uh, Tom Holland gets fired. <laughs> you know I don't want to do that. I want to give you an actual answer to this. Uh, but yeah, it's a good good question. Um, okay, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, well, that one's gonna that that's gonna, gonna be ruffle difficult. some feathers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you having her on here is going to ruffle some feathers. <laughs> uh, so let's move on to our discussion for Captain America, the Winter Soldier. 
in anticipation of the theatrical release of Black Widow. That's right. We refuse to acknowledge that it costs $30 for you to watch this at home. I'm shaking my finger angry. Anyway, so general thoughts. Tyler, I'll let you go first because you're the first person listed in the document. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, I really like this movie and I've not rewatched it enough. Um, I've rewatched Avengers 1 way too much and wish I would have seen this one more. Um, So, yeah, we talked last week about Cap being a Boy Scout in Avengers 1 and... He is at the beginning of this film, but we see him become the Cap we all come to love by Endgame. And uh, I I love how much this movie, in in its two hours, um, roughly two hours, it it captures that, and we really like we it captures the emotion of of his uh, of his journey through that. And this film feels like a continuation of Avengers One. Which is what makes the plot twist of the Hydra Shield plot twist have so much more gravity to it, um, because we're seeing Shield operate like there's, you know, how they're intended to. We think, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, look, Cap, uh, your life has been a lie this whole time, and now you've got to sort through the pieces. Okay. Yes, those are fair opinions. Here's my no. <laughs> uh, hey, here's why you're wrong. Well, I kind of well no. Actually, I just kind of want to serve one of those. Just I think and we're not going to get a discussion about this yet, but we can later on. Is I think saying Cap is a boy scout at the beginning of this movie is kind of simplifying him. I think he's immediately yeah. a better character than he is in Avengers One. Uh, for oh, the entire yeah. opening oh, sequence, yeah. uh, and I also would say I don't really think he's a boy scout. In um, Captain America and Ivor, First Avenger. I think he's only really a Boy Scout in the Whedon films. Which is, uh, mm. uh, but anyway, that's a discussion for a different time. Talking about Whedon's interpretation of Cap. But anyway, this movie, it's very good. However, it does eventually lose me. And I think it's like, it's one of those movies that's like, we have ideas. But then it doesn't really fully commit to executing those ideas. Partially because um, it goes into like... These Nazi... Oh, we don't have this in those, but I want to mention this right now. Uh, well, not about Nazis and Hydra, which are the same thing, but also they're, like, they're like, you know, fantasy Nazis. You know what I mean? They're not like... You know what I'm talking about, right? They don't yeah, just label yeah. them as Nazis. They're fantasy Nazis. Uh, but we don't have this in our notes. But I believe this is Gary Shandling's last film, and I forgot he was in it. And I got so... Fun- <laughs> I was laughing so hard when he popped up. I had totally forgotten he was in this movie. Uh, but anyway... Uh, my other thing is, I think this never really got a sequel in terms of action, because after this, the Russos really go full into the CGI augmented action, whereas this is all very hand-to-hand. I believe... I want to look this up when Caleb's talking. Uh, but anyway, this uh, about the action. But I do really enjoy this movie, overall. I don't want to be... I, I'm sounding... I'm giving more negatives than positives, just because I'm like, I'm going to be the main person here who is, you know, negative. You know? Anyway, yeah. Yeah. This is... It's a good um, movie. <laughs> Yeah, it it is a good movie. It's my favorite Marvel movie or MCU film um, because I feel like this is when uh, they combine kind of the Whedon um, humor with the Russo's uh, style of storytelling and action. I think that's when you get the Marvel formula. And so I kind of like going mm. to this where I see like the origins of the better parts of the formula. Um, it also, I think, is um, the most grounded of their films. 
both in action like Danny was talking about, but also this is just a very human story with um, Cap at the center of it in a way that most other, except for maybe like Guardians 2 or Iron Man 3, I don't feel like any other Marvel movie is as concerned with it, its characters' um, internal feelings as this one is. Um, and I, it's so easily watchable. I can always go back and turn this film on. Um, it's like returning to an old friend who has been brainwashed and is trying to kill me. I am so <laughs> tempted to go down the road of arguing with you on what's the most human Marvel movie, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> we, can, we can talk about so that digging later. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going not gonna to do that right now. All right, digging in. Okay, so my first thing is, I don't know if you guys remember when this movie came out, the big marketing thing was they're like, oh, and this happens all the time now too. Like Ant-Man and the Wasp is like, we're trying to do a rom-com but with Marvel and you don't get that at all from the movie. And this, it was like, oh, we cast Robert Redford because we wanted to do a 70s conspiracy thriller through Marvel. And I've always think that's ridiculous because one, I don't think this is reminiscent of 70s conspiracy thrillers at all. Uh, I think this is more like Marvel trying to do Bourne, which is mm. okay. Like, And it's good. I think the Bourne stuff aspect of it is great. I don't think there are a lot of action movies like Bourne movies because I think usually when you try to do a spy movie, you get more... That's like, you know, rip off of the major franchises. It's going to be more Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah. Like, for example, and I'll talk about this in the green room. I watched Fast Five yesterday, and I think that very much takes influence from Mission Impossible movies more so than it takes from uh, Bourne or uh, trying to think whatever spy movies are out there. But, you know, or Bond. I don't think it's trying to riff off any of those. Uh, so I like I'm just I'm not saying that, like, this is a bad thing. I'm just saying that I've always thought the 70 conspiracy thriller line was ludicrous. Especially because, and I also think this movie outright includes a reference, a visual reference to Bourne near the end, when Cap is floating in the water. Uh, it's remind. I think that's in the first Bourne movie, but it might be an ultimatum that it ends with. Um, you think Bourne is dead, but then he just starts swimming away, and then Moby starts playing. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I just wanted to get that out there because I, I don't know. I didn't think I really wanted to talk about the seventies conspiracy thriller marketing aspect, but I think I think you can draw a line from 70s conspiracy thrillers through born to here um it's not but i don't think they like sat down and then they just like binge watch the manchurian candidate or something like that and then wrote this three film. days of the condor you gotta you gotta get the redford in there three days of the condor yeah yeah it's definitely more of a more of a marketing kind of invention but i i don't think it's completely baseless I think the only Marvel movie they've marketed it as a different genre that actually pays off as a different genre is Guardians because it's like, oh, this is space off from Marvel. And yeah, it is, you know. But besides that, like, I think anytime they've been like, we're doing a different genre, it's like, no, you're doing Marvel movie. That's your genre. Yeah, which is fine. I, it's not. It's not negative, really. It's just a fact. You know what I mean? I'm just stating what I want to state. What Tyler? I, I like. I well, I like how. Uh how Caleb said that I don't think that they sat down and watched Manchurian, you know, uh, yeah. Manchurian Candidate, and then they were like, hey, let's go write this, which is very close to how Danny said that Bono wrote the music for Spider-Man <laughs> Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that Spider-Man thing. <laughs> yes, weirdly British Bono's back. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb is the person who told us that... Uh, Josh Thanos and uh, British Bono should do a team up someday. Yes. Anyway, yes, <laughs> that will be our spinoff movie. That's like uh, the SNL spinoff movie that bombs at the box office. 
Yeah. Nowadays, it would probably be put on, like, Queeby or whatever. Anyway. Uh, so, Caleb, you have the next point. Yeah, where I do think you can uh, draw a line between 70s conspiracy thrillers and this is that they are dealing with uh, distrust in the government for the time that they were made. Um, so this one has themes that draw pretty heavily on the distrust of, like, the surveillance state and the Patriot Act. Um, and I agree mm. with you, Danny. I don't think they necessarily carry all these through. But it that just adds to the grounded feeling of this. And I like I like the attempt to tell a Marvel movie that is commenting on something in the real world. Uh Dark Knight also kind of touches on. Yeah, I was the gonna Patriot say Act. I actually wanted to make a joke about the Dark Knight. Uh, yeah. Which is that this movie we can continue talking about the Patriot, but I wanna just put this out there. This movie is the first ever movie where I believe a DC actor went over to Marvel because Chin Han plays one of the World Security Council, and he's the guy who goes, "I'm good with calculation." In the yeah. Dark Knight, I think that <laughs> I character's name is Lau. That. Yeah. Lau. Yes, you're right. It is Lau. I yeah. can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> go on. And Caleb, he, played Shang, like... he played Shang Tsung in the uh, in Mortal Kombat, which also talks about the Patriot Act. It doesn't. really okay. No, <laughs> it doesn't. But um, especially Talk with like, that in the oh. yeah. But okay. I always I always like that, especially. Um, like Cap's conversation early on with Nick is very much like a like a more libertarian versus like kind of a neocon debate, which I find, you know, I, I think it's fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good scene. Yeah, my my take is uh, very very similar to how Caleb talked about uh, like this film with the in relation to the Patriot Act. Um, is uh, last week I talked in the green room. I talked about Minority Report which is very much about anticipating crimes before they happen, um, which I didn't realize until I started watching this. And I was like, holy crap, this is Minority Report, but made in 2014. Um, so, yeah, my new title for this is now Captain America, Everybody Runs, um, to draw that off should be of honest, that the title of the episode. line. That should be the title of the episode, Everybody Runs. <laughs> Everybody Runs. <laughs> Everybody Runs. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, All right. but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely that like, yeah, you're going to, I, I really like the line where Cap says, uh, they say, oh, we're going to save 7 billion people. And then Cap's like, by killing 22 million. I, I, I if I remember right, says. that's, it's Nick Fury who says that. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah. It's, yeah it's, it's, in the, it's in the climax with Robert Redford. God, I yeah, love Robert Redford and, in this movie. Uh, sorry, go on. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So, so I love, I love that, uh, that, that connection right there. That it's like, yeah, you're going to save this many people, but you know, you're also killing this many people in anticipation of what they're going to do. You know, so it it, it kind of gets to that. You're going to like this point takes it a step further than uh, Minority Report. In the sense that they were just going to go ahead and kill, and I know it's Hydra took over Shield, um, but it they were just going to go ahead and kill these people in anticipation of what you know what they were going to do in the future. Um, and it's it's still even though yes Hydra took over Shield, it's still the fact that there were still people in Shield who thought that they were fighting the good fight, you know, and they were on board with this. So very much like. Uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, yeah. and it's not like Hydra took over Shield yesterday. They did it like decades ago, right. and yeah. I think 
And like, there are probably a lot of, a lot of places where, you know, normal shield and Hydra align. And like, that's, that's a really interesting idea to try to unparse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I thought that the, uh, the discussion of, uh, uh, last week with the minority report with, uh, the concept of free, you know, free will and, uh, also using enhanced individuals to reach like a more of a consensus of one, a group's consensus to, uh, achieve an end. But anyways, yeah. I do want to counter one thing really quick, which is that comparing this, granted, I haven't seen my minority report, but I don't think the free will here is necessarily relevant. I think the idea is more that these people could commit crimes or they could mess things up. Right. Uh, the well, fact is, is that you don't actually do know. Yeah. But they could do that because of, of free will. You know what I'm saying? Well, no, no, I'm no, a little no, lost, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's okay. No. We're not, we're not we going to go down that rabbit we hole. Get, yeah, we're not so, going to go. Yeah. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't understand, but we don't need to talk about free this will. This is not the free will podcast. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, all right. So the next that point. That Marvel was, fanfare. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is one of two appearances of the Marvel fa- fa- Well, I think it might be in Ultron too. So it might be three appearances of the Marvel fanfare that was done by Brian Tyler. Uh as we know, on this podcast, I like discussing the scores. Uh, and I actually have the take that I like this Marvel fanfare more than Giacchino's. Um, partially because it's shorter. I think the, the, the Giacchino's one is a bit long. Um, <laughs> but it also, it just works. It's a great thing. I, I don't know. I don't have really much to say other than, ah, I've forgotten how good this fanfare is. And it's also a fanfare that whenever it pops up, I'm like, what? wait, is this not it anymore? Because to me, this feels more instantly iconic to me. That's just me. Well, and I think gotcha. that's because that's because of like our age. But like kids who are growing true, up, yeah. their first ones were like Infinity War and stuff. You know, they'll have the opposite opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. You got me. Caleb just called me out. I should just quit the podcast. Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Kale. Uh, <laughs> I am now a super fan. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's. Yeah, we, we don't do, uh, I guess we just don't do two-syllable words in titles. Okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, why is a tie and tour? Tour and dance. Right? Tour and kale. It's the alternate reality version of the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, yeah. Next up on our notes is we're going to talk about the cold open. Now, I want to put on in this is that I know we're talking about the scene of Cap uh, at the Washington, D.C., Technically, this is not a Marvel cold open. The logo is before it. There's no title separating it. But we can talk about it because I see that both Tyler and Caleb want to talk about it. So I'm just saying I don't consider it a cold open. Super. It's it's not, but it's fun. Yeah. Want to. Yeah. <laughs> I I think I think cold open was it was a uh, it was a, something we had left over from last week. A precursor, just, yeah, from last yeah. week. Okay, um, just kind of sitting in there, and I was like, well. It's it's opening rather than uh, yeah. It's was, not the it opening lazy. action okay, scene. Okay, Danny. Thanks for calling me out. It's no. not the opening action <laughs> um, scene. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah. This I the thing about this opening scene is that we really get this. It's a gr- beautiful shot of uh, of DC and um and uh, we get this really nice moment with you know on your left which has so many callbacks later on in the mcu 
Um, but I think that what's what I appreciate about it the most is that this scene takes its time just kind of like building, you know, this uh, building this relationship between Cap and uh, Falcon and Cap and Sam. And that like I buy I buy it rather than, oh, it was just a coincidence because this that's what the plot needs. It needs to happen, you know? Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's like nice. its first priority isn't going to be the action. It's going to be Cap making like a human connection with someone. Um, yeah. I was wondering what would... So obviously uh, Sam gives Cap the uh, the Trouble Band soundtrack to add to his list mm-hmm. of things to catch up. What would y'all add to Cap's list of cultural... Before I, before I answer, can I jump ahead a bit in something in regards to the list? Which is that yeah. I felt like it should have been a much bigger talking point with this movie that Captain America hasn't watched Rocky, but he has seen War Games. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I always think about when the War Games line comes up later because it's like, oh, I've seen that. I'm like, you've seen that and you haven't seen Rocky. <laughs> I can I can no prize it by just saying that he's he's just lying because he doesn't like care okay. about <laughs> Natasha's jokes. He just wants to get to. Saving the world. Get to the get to the meat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what would I add to the catch up list? Hmm. I the thing I is, know what I'm, I would add. Okay. But, what? Oh, uh, I would I would have him go through um, uh, Pink Floyd's work, like Pink Floyd's The Wall and um, Pink Floyd's. Uh, there's there's another one that very much it very much describes. It's a historical. Um, commentary on what was going on in England and why it, you know, like these things were going on in the, the public's response to that. Um, I think animals could fit with that. I think that's yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I, I really, yeah. Um, Danny, if I really want to give you like Pink Floyd's the wall, like the album, the wall as like, one of your things for the green room, but well, <laughs> but uh, there are plenty plenty of movies too. Yeah, yeah that's true. Isn't but, there a movie? But of the yeah, wall no, too? I think mm-hmm. do what? Yeah, you yeah. Can give me the movie of the wall. That's an option. That's true. Somewhere. That's true. Uh, but but yeah, I think that it's uh, it's very relevant cultural pieces um, that would uh, would be rele- like relevant to Captain America catching up. You know. Um, I'm 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 stuck day. on this one because here's the thing is I keep coming up with joke answers like oh I'd give him the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy or I'd give him Raiders of the Lost Ark or I'd give him a uh, Three Days of the Condor, uh, but weirdly what came to mind for me for seventies for Cap is Sidney Lumet's Network. Uh, <laughs> I think that would be a good choice for him. It would maybe yeah. also yeah uh, I don't know why that's what came to mind. Now that they said Sidney Lumet, I'm also thinking maybe Twelve Angry Men. But I actually think network is more relevant uh, to Cap. I think Cap would really enjoy network, uh, and he, he maybe not enjoy, it, but I think he'd get something out of it. You know, yeah. I I've gone back and forth on what I would give him, but I think I'd give him the discography of Sam Cooke because you mm. can like he could read up on it and like learn more about what was going on during like the civil rights movement and stuff. But also, yeah. it, it's a you would live a sad life if you never heard a Sam Cooke song, and I want to make sure Cap has as much happiness in his life as he can. Can't he? Yeah. If this movie wasn't in 2014, I'd say he has to go watch Hamilton. No. I think he should watch uh, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. 
<laughs> oh, that's what my Spider-Man well, answer basically I was, is. I was is going, that like I want him to go watch a Spider-Man movie? Remember that really old movie, Avengers Infinity War? <laughs> um, I was I was going to say, uh, speaking on that that line from uh, from Tom Holland's Spider-Man in Civil War. Uh, so like, he I says, wouldn't give Tom Holland really Spider-Man old, network. Remember that. <laughs> he says, "Remember that really old uh, movie, uh, The Empire Strikes Back." So we know in the MCU that at least the original trilogy Star Wars films are a thing, but are the prequels a thing? Because Samuel L. Jackson well plays Mace Windu. Here's so. the thing. Oh, here's the thing. I was thinking watching this time is that Rocky is on Cap's list, and Sylvester Stallone is in Guardians too. Yeah. Well, yeah. it would have to be last action hero logic where it's replaced. Like, so in that universe, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stallone played yeah. the Terminator. So you'd have to find another, like, similar so person. So is it a Schwarzenegger Rocky in this world? Because Schwarzenegger yeah. hasn't popped yeah. up. Yeah, he's Rocky, so. and then John Travolta yeah. is uh, um, is Mace Windu because they were in Pulp Fiction together. Nice, oh, okay. nice. Works. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I lost my my spot in this. Uh, so, Cap's costume in the beginning of this film um, is my favorite Cap costume. I like um, that I, it came back in an Endgame. Yeah, how it comes yeah. back very briefly in Endgame. Mm-hmm. It, like yeah, so moment. it's it's my favorite Cap costume. Also, Cap is sporting a very Johnny Storm haircut in this film. Yeah. Um, it's very reminiscent of early two thousands. Uh, uh, Chris, it's Evans. an okay haircut. I'm not. I don't matter. Yeah. Haircut. Yeah. No. It's, it's not. Fine. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. Um, it's just I'm specifically thinking of when he first walks into Nick Fury's office and he's talking to him, and I'm I'm like, is this Johnny Storm? Like my brain was kind of was kind of. I knew what movie I was watching, but my brain was kind of like, huh? <laughs> These two don't know. He, these two don't cross over. Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah, that isn't freedom. It's fear. No. Um, <laughs> club. You have the next um, note. Yeah, so we we ready to head to the boat? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Where, may I point out, wait, first off, because we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were on my Falcon and Winter Soldier, Cap jumps out of the plane without a parachute. And this was a deal breaker for Tyler a few weeks ago with Bucky doing the same thing. So I just want to point that out that it happened Bucky, here. Does it's Bucky have the super soldier serum, though? He has a yes. similar-ish <laughs> serum. Okay. Because remember, Zemo talks to him saying, like, you're a super... You're, like, he says, I'm a super soldier, too, at some point to Zemo during Falcon Winter Soldier. So... He yeah, has, like, the he off-brand. I, he has the great yeah. value. Super soldier. I, I'm not actually generic, mad at you, Tyler. I just want to point out that there was serum. precedent. There was no, precedent there, here. There was, and I, I honestly forgot about it. Um, so, uh, thanks for keeping me... Keep, keeping me keeping you accountable. Keeping yes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, that was the thing I wanted to say before we got to the boat. Was cat. Okay, go on. I really like this, uh, this scene because... Cap just tears through everyone in his way. They pose absolutely mm-hmm. no challenge. Even when they get to uh, Baltrock the Leaper, he's just like, "Okay, this is a little, this is like a little fun, like exercise, but it's not a threat." Yeah. And I think just seeing him so easily tear through everyone, and then later on the elevator tear through all those people, 
really like hammers home when he goes up against Winter Soldier and he's like how deadly a threat Winter Soldier is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like um I like the way this you're, you're right. I like the way this action is shot. I've always liked the opening sequence and how it's shot because it's all in particular I think about that shot of him like running through the uh hallway kind of but you see it from afar and it's just yeah. like guys are falling off and it's it's notably shot better even though as I said last week I really do enjoy the Avengers third act I think immediately this movie sets up this is the first action movie of Marvel where we're really putting the effort into giving you great action that you can clearly see where things are going it might be a little shaky cam but we're cutting the way you should and the action is always in frame I don't ever yeah. really get confused on who is punching who in this movie Mm. Which is something that I think Marvel had a problem up to this point with. Even with, like, Iron Man. Like, because Iron Man always fights robots, and you can't ever tell what robot he's, if who's punching who type of thing. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I really like the opening sequence. Well, yeah, it, opening uh, action sequence. I talked last week about, like, I wish we had... Well, and we talked about this when talking about Civil War, is that it's it's like we want... More of the Avengers doing Avengers things, which this one isn't the Avengers doing that stuff, it's but it shield is stuff. It's Cap. Shield stuff. It's Cap doing everyday Shield stuff, you know. Um, yeah, and I really like I really like that too. Uh, I like also. This is just a side side note that I just thought of with Endgame. Oh wait, did you have something more to say about the scene, Caleb? You can go. Not Caleb. Tyler, you can go first. I actually mix up your guys' names all the time on several four podcasts. So to be clear here. Uh, <laughs> Do you have more to say, Tyler? Sorry. No, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's interesting also to look at this. I mean, so in this movie, in my opinion, I think Rumlow feels more like a work acquaintance of Cap who don't like they don't really know each other that well personally. That's that's my vibe. But I think it's interesting yeah. that Endgame is like, no, nah, these guys have known each other since Avengers 1, which is like two years before this. They like so they were they actually know probably each pretty other. close. They know each other, but I don't think they go out and get drinks after work. They seem yeah, to. Probably, yeah, probably Natasha seems to be the only one that Cap really associates with. Yeah, uh, yeah. Along with his uh, his uh, neighbor, his neighbor who is <laughs> the nephew of his future wife. Keep waiting uh, for her to nephew, come back and see. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I don't know. She could. She seems a bit suspicious. Perhaps she's going to break sus. someone's power. <gasps> so anyways <laughs> speaking of bad minds um, so last week Danny said that uh, doors open from both sides was the stupid line of 2012 so my stupid line of 2014 is I told you S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't negotiate and that comes from Sitwell when he's on, on the boat and I'm just like I understand why he says it but it's just it's what not cracks me up is it's like framed as a uh, laugh line, but like yeah. no one cares about this character. It's there was not no setup funny. either. It's not. It's yeah. not cool. There's another one later yeah. on that's kind of similar to me that Mackie has, but I felt like it worked because I remembered laughing at it in theaters when it happened. But I can't remember what the mm-hmm. one is. Uh, but he, but you know at home it's not funny. It's just like okay, yeah. whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any it, other stupid lines no, in this. It had no setup, so I was just kind of like. Okay, uh, and I watched the deleted scenes, and there's nothing in there, yeah. you know, about it. So I'm kind of like, all right, they don't negotiate. That good job, Sitwell. You got your line. But 
Uh, our next note is about 30 minutes later in the movie, so I want to make sure there's absolutely nothing we want to discuss in the next half hour of the movie uh, before we move on. Uh, because we can talk about Redford now, or we can... <laughs> what? It is. He just jumped so much. <laughs> I like... I, I like everything what? that happens in between now and then. Um, especially... I don't have anything very specific to say other than I like it. Also, when uh, Haley Atwell shows up, just reminded me how much I want Agent yes. Carter season three. Yes. Yep. Uh, Agent Carter, Danny and I have talked about uh, covering Agent Agent Carter on on the on the podcast at some point, and we uh, we're definitely not meaning Agent Thirteen. Um, yeah. <laughs> wrong, Agent Carter. But yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, moving on, I think Danny said 30 minutes more. Uh, so I love that when Nick Fury is sitting uh, in his in Cap's apartment and Cap comes in. I love that Fury is listening to the same song on repeat as he's sitting in the apartment. Because, like, here's a guy suffering from multiple wounds who is taking the time to reset the needle on a vinyl record. <laughs> <laughs> just over and over and over again. And uh I'm just I'm just like, okay, all right, Nick Fury's like, if if I'm going out, this is the way I'm going out. I'm listening listening to this song. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I don't th- I don't know. I don't think I noticed that, honestly. I'm more curious how he's able to type out his text so quickly to show Cap. Yeah. Uh yeah. I was just I was like, okay, like sure, whatever. I can accept this. Uh I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't know. It's a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like... Yeah, um, yeah, Caleb, what were you going to say? Um. So I like this scene Um. because right as Nick is like, you can't trust anyone right after he gets shot. Um, yeah. Immediately, this, you know, person, everyone's favorite MCU character... <laughs> Sharon Carter, like it's you know, it's gonna be amazing if she ever joins the Avengers because then we'll have a way easier answer for Tori's question. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, Definitely, but please join the Avengers, Sharon. Because give us an easy answer to this question, we will never answer again. Um, but like immediately, this person who we were just thought was gonna be set up as maybe a love interest, you know, is immediately. Oh no, yeah. she's a spy, and Nick Fury sent her to like you know keep an eye on you. I yeah. think that emphasizes the paranoia that's going to carry the second act. Yeah, yeah. And and uh there there was something about like the spy spy theme of this movie. Um in Avengers 1 um in Avengers 1 they talk about like Fury uh Tony says Fury's the spy. He's his secrets even have secrets. And yeah, it's a it's, good setup. We really, we really see that in this in this film. Um, that that's it. It's really it's, funny when like Redford tries to like uh, frame him. Yeah. And immediately, everyone in the audience is like, "No way! <laughs> like, nah, <laughs> no way! We're not gonna trust you, Robert Redford. No, you're wrong." <laughs> and Cap's like, "Yeah, you're wrong." <laughs> Speaking of Redford. Our next question is a question I have because I recently listened to him. I've talked about this podcast before, but Patrick Willems, who's a YouTuber, has a podcast about Marvel. 
uh, yeah. that I listen to sometimes. And they did a dissection. That I've been listening to old episodes, to be clear. This is not a recent episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they talk, they try to talk about, is this a mediocre Marvel villain or is this a good Marvel villain? And weirdly, they assigned to... I thought this was so weird. They assigned the villain of this movie to Bucky. I don't mm. consider Bucky to be the main villain. I think it's uh, Alexander Peace or Pierce, or as I've said literally every time on this podcast, and we'll continue to keep calling to him, just Robert Redford. Like <laughs> it's Robert Redford. Yeah, I think he's definitely the villain. And I actually, I don't think he's a mediocre Marvel villain, but I think it's solely because he's Robert Redford. I think if any other actor was playing it, I'd be like, yeah, this is just a whatever Marvel villain. It's another whatever one. But it's, I think people need to remember, like at the time, Redford was by far the biggest legend they'd ever got in one of these movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since then, we've gotten, like, Michael Douglas. We've gotten, uh, I'm trying to think of who else has been in Marvel movies, but Douglas is the one who goes to Mighty Me Lee, if I'm comparing him to Redford. Uh, and Kurt Russell, but also, kind of, too. Like, yeah, Kurt yeah. Russell. Well, Kurt Russell, to me, it's a little different, because Kurt Russell had been going through a revival of... He was, he'd already been in the Fast and Furious movies. Like, he had returned oh, to yeah, mainstream yeah, blockbusters yeah. already. Uh, yeah. This was Redford's... I think this might be Redford's first, like, blockbuster blockbuster, you know? Uh, it, he's such a get for this movie. And it's still, to me, so weird that Robert Redford is in this. Because in the 2010s, he was going through a revival of a bunch of indie roles. And then also mm-hmm. popping up in Pete's Dragon because he's turned to the director. Uh, but then he's in this. And it's just so, like, wow, they got Robert Redford for this. Yeah. And it's literally just because it's Robert Redford doing it that I'm so impressed that, like, everything he does is so, like, intimidating to me. It's so cool. But I also never see him as Alexander Pierce. It's just, it's Robert Redford. But it is okay. <laughs> yeah, just on a script level, it's just a very functional villain that doesn't stand out. Mm-hmm. But Redford really does um, elevate it a lot. And I feel like I can I can easily see people kind of... Like being lulled into a false sense of security around him because he does kind of have this charming presence that he can. He's Robert even, Redford. Like you yeah. love Robert. <laughs> like, yeah. And even when he's doing something evil, I can hundred percent believe that he's this like true blooded American who thinks he's doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where yeah. the seventies conspiracy thriller marketing came from because the idea was we got the classic hero of those seventies conspiracy thrillers here, but he's the bad guy now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which it works like. To me, I also think, and I know, Tyler, you might disagree with me here, I think getting Brule as Zemo is kind of similar, getting like a very prestigious actor to play a bad guy that the writing is not as well nuanced on, but I think Redford's presence both in this, but also just his legendary like credits throughout time, right? Like, that is what, like, you watch this movie, I immediately think of any, like, I think of Butch Cassidy and all the presidents, like, Robert Redford is a movie star. It'd be like the equivalent to me, yeah. like like ten years down the road, like Tom Hanks popping up in one of these movies is the bad guy. You yeah. know what? I, that that is what Redford yeah. being in this is, and it's so cool because to me, it's also like this movie should be like very underneath him as a prestigious. Like he founded Sundance. The fact that he's a Marvel villain is so weird, but so cool. And I'd I'd mm. say nowadays there are only like one or two people who I like I would just never believe would go and be in a be in a superhero movie. Like, I don't think we'll ever get, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and something like that. Um, well, you know, mm-hmm. he was actually in talks at one point for Batman Begins. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, yeah. He was supposed to play Raja Ghul, um, uh, mm. which would have been an interesting choice. Well, it would have been actually really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think they... I I, would, I think even Tom Hanks would never show up in one of these movies, you know? I mean, just because he's done things like Angels and Demons before, um, I think you could probably get Yeah, him I if, guess, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. If, if he if thought he role, would have an if F1. the role is right. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think of older actors who I wouldn't expect to see in this. You know what I mean? Like Redford. Like, because Redford, very, Hoffman is too. Like, both of them, you know? I wouldn't expect to see either of them in a Marvel movie. Although yeah, I could see, like, now I could see Hoffman being in it. But in 2014, no. I couldn't no, even yeah. see Tilda Swinton until Tilda Swinton was casting in a Marvel movie. Mm. Like, you know, like, but we've had so many, like, ones where it's like, that's so weird they're in there. Or even then, like, Rachel Weiss, who, again, she's not, like, a legend of the screen, but she seems like she'd be kind of, like, above it. I guess right now the only one I'd say is Emily Blunt, because she's outright said she hated superhero movies. <laughs> 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 that, that would be a surprise, I guess. Um, but, yeah, um, so we're in agreement that Redford is a villain, though. You wouldn't say Bucky is. I think they're both villainous. I think Bucky's more of a... He's less of a person. Like, the struggle there is Cap is trying to turn him from an object into a person. Yeah. Again. Yeah. 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 With Bucky, it's... He's more of a means to an end for... You know, and th- and that right there is what convinces me that Robert Redford is the villain. You know, because... I mean, Robert Redford's not out there throwing the punches... Um, you know, shooting grenades and uh, tearing up traffic. He's using, he's very clearly using Bucky as a means to an end. You know, and yeah. that's that's where it's like, it's very cut clear that Bucky is not is not the villain of this. I think to be the villain, you've got to be conscientious of what you are, what you are doing. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. Yes. It's, I want to say like, one more thing about, sorry. No, you Sorry, go I was I was gonna say it's it's a it's like if Pinocchio uh was or Geppetto was committing murders with Pinocchio. It's not Pinocchio <laughs> committing the murders. Like I, we before need, we Pinocchio, we need this gritty reboot. We because, need this gritty reboot now, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is the A two four. This is A twenty four films Pinocchio. <laughs> or is the uh, Geppetto Geppetto alternate universe? Uh, isn't there a movie, movie called Puppet Master that's kind of like that? Am I confused? I'm not. Anyway, there, I'm not there's sure, a horror it, franchise called Puppet Master, but I don't think it involves Pinocchio. <laughs> uh, I want to say one more thing about Redford, strings and then we can me. go on. Because it's kind of what we said earlier. I think when yeah. you mentioned the line where he says, uh, I would kill 20 million people to cr- uh, save 7 billion. Yeah. Uh, and to me, it's just like, man, it's so crazy and cool. And in a way, it just feels so perverse to hear uh, Robert Redford plays such a, like, awful, like, a Nazi, like a crazy Nazi, uh, yeah. a fantasy Nazi, but still a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, it feels to me kind of like, I guess I would compare this to how my dad always talks about uh, the first Mission Impossible movie, where uh, I know Tyler even seen, so spoiler alert for a 25-year-old movie, uh, the bad guy of it is the protagonist of the TV show. It's mm. a twist that the protagonist of the TV show is the guy who's selling secrets and trying to destroy yeah. the IMF. I think, uh, I think that I was so that. controversial yeah. at the time. Uh, I feel like watching that and hearing just Rob- yeah, I know he's playing a different character, but just hearing Robert Redford being like, "Yeah, hail Hydra, let's kill," <laughs> like you know, like like let's commit genocide and kill twenty million people. It's just so like, whoa, such a cool role for him to take because it is yeah. just subverting his image from the seventies and eighties. It reminded me a lot of seeing Patrick Stewart in the movie Green Room, where he is playing a yeah. skinhead, and it's just like, oh, yeah. Professor X, what happened to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, so we can move on from Redford. <laughs> another like another great character in this film <laughs> is the quirky Apple Store guy that Cap and uh, 
Cap and Natasha run into when they're on the run. And I I just, I love this moment. It's like this extra is just hamming it up. He's like, yeah, I've got my time in the MCU. Uh, you know, I'm in it and boom, here I am. Well, and but, he's uh, friends He's friends with the director from back when they did TV. I'm trying to look up I was going to say, I don't think he's an extra. I think he's a cameo. You know what I mean? Okay. I he, uh, well, kind of like how he, later on... Um, the actor who plays Abed Nadir from Community is also in, in the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah his name to... is DC Pearson, and um, okay, he pops up in a lot of like TV comedies and stuff. So I, I so they must have have a working relationship. Yeah, they were. He was on yeah. Community. It says on a. Oh, was he? Okay. On, on the Marvel Wiki, it says he had uh, been Community, and he'd also been in a movie. I think with Kobe Smulders, which I don't think is the connection, probably. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, but he is really gonna, fun. Well, yes. he's fun, but I do want to. This is I'm going to call back one of Caleb's podcasts because uh, Caleb is aware of this. I'll just say this on this. I've been working on a backlog through Caleb's podcast, Hot Trash Unlimited, and I just made it to the Sonic the Hedgehog episode. And rewatching, listening to that, and then seeing this just made me think about like this is just product placement. It really is. It's fun. But it is the equivalent, and the reason I bring that up is because I don't know if you've seen Sonic the Hedgehog, Tyler, but that movie is, has a lot of like very blunt product placements. Like, uh, what should we give your? It's like, what should we give as a gift? How about an Olive Garden gift card? Like, <laughs> I've been looking up apartments at Zillow.com. <laughs> this isn't as bad as Sonic, but it's, it's not as bad noticeable. as Sonic. <laughs> it's very noticeable for Marvel, because I don't really usually get this from, other than, you know, the Dr. Pepper truck exploding type of thing. <laughs> Marvel's biggest one nowadays is the, uh, like, they always have uh, Audis. Like, those are always the important cars now. Um, yeah. Unless, like, it, occasionally, if they have to have, like, a bad driver. Like, I don't think Dr. Strange drives an Audi, but... Other than that, <laughs> I I did notice in this film on the subject of cars that ev I think it was every GMC made vehicle did not get blown. It wasn't blown up. It just <laughs> in the, like it was disabled and off to the side. Like even the vehicle that uh, Cap, Sam, and Natasha are in when Bucky ambushes them, you know, rips the steering wheel out of the car. Like even that car is just. It's just beat up a little bit, but it's still tried and true. And the Hummer behind it isn't blown up either. But all the other cars, like, I think there's specifically a Lincoln that is blown up, like, just, can, just smithereens. But, yeah. Can we jump back a bit and talk about an action scene? Uh, sure. Because you just reminded me of something I forgot to mention. Uh, it's right before this Apple Store scene, actually. It's the uh, Escape from S.H.I.E.L.D. For one, somehow, not at all in our notes do we have the iconic elevator fight. Which is probably the most iconic sequence in this movie, but yeah. I actually don't want to talk about that either. <laughs> it's really good. Talk, it, it is, is really scene. good. Yeah, but I want to talk about how Cap has his motorcycle this entire movie, and it's so cool. And at one point, he like jumps off his motorcycle and fights a plane, kind of like you know, like a helicopter, <laughs> a Quinjet, and he yeah. just takes yeah, a Quinjet. And he just takes it out and he just jumps back on his motorcycle and drives off. It's such a cool moment, and like. I remember reading reviews at the time. I was like, yeah, there's a sewer uh, cap fights a jet. And I was like, what does that even mean? And then it happened. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so why I think that's a funny point to bring up the motorcycle is because me and my roommate, Joe, uh, went to 
um, Marvel. It's basically like Marvel on ice, but it wasn't on ice. It was like this. <laughs> and there Is there were a bootleg pro- of this? Can we discuss this on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Maybe not right now. <laughs> but, no, 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 no. Like for a future episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it was great, but there were like prolonged sequences of characters on what are supposed to be motorcycles, but were just dirt bikes, like driving around. Like there's this big long one of Hulk and Wolverine just kind of driving around the stage on these dirt bikes, having a conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. Uh, but yeah, Cap's motorcycle's cool. The elevator fight is guy. We don't. I don't think. Okay, I think the elevator fight speaks for itself. That's why I'm like, yeah. I don't think we need to talk about it at all. It speaks for itself. It's, it's iconic for a reason. So we can jump back ahead to where we were. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys, real quick, because you have been keeping up with Loki news. I hear that a certain villain named Modok is going to be in Loki. Is that has that been confirmed or is that just speculation? No. I think it's just speculative. The Modoc okay. discussion yeah. right now, I believe, is about the Patton Oswald show on okay. uh, Hulu. Uh, because I haven't heard anything about Modoc showing up in uh, Loki. Because I think this is as much as I would love to see, like just the bizarreness of a live action Modoc. I think this is a yeah. really good way to do Modoc when they go into the bunker and then uh, Zola is on, you know, this TV screen with like yeah. these yeah. miles. The, the of- Zola scene is cool because it's such a. It was I was tempted to put it as my favorite scene because uh, it's such a swing for this movie, and it, it the movie does not nail that scene. The entire thing really doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, and it gets a bit campy, but it's just the right amount of camp for you to buy into it. Because if it wasn't yeah. campy, you'd be like, "This is too serious." It's like, what the heck? <laughs> They're talking to a guy on a computer. Because this came out, I think, if I remember right, this came out like a few weeks ever before or after Transcendence, the infamous Johnny Depp. Johnny plot, Depp, yeah. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan's DP, which I always think is funny because he did, he did Transcendence. He's like, no, I'm not going to do Dark Knight. Uh, no, I'm not going to do Interstellar because I want to do my own directing movie. He did Transcendence, which bombed, and then Nolan never took him back. <laughs> he has not really had a career. <laughs> Sad. But anyway, yeah, because I actually think he's a better cinematographer than Nolan's current one, personally, but that's just me. Uh, that's a side note. But anyway, uh, it's so, like, so could go so wrong, and it doesn't. It, it's just a really entertaining scene, and it's just mm-hmm. exposition, but it's always just, it feels like such a wham bit of exposition that it works. Like, you can tell it's actually really, like, Cap's like, how could this happen? What? But not really like that, you know, but like, yeah. Evans, yeah, Evans is good in the scene, and of course, Toby Jones is great to show up doing yeah. this, too. Yeah. I will say that, wait, Tyler, do you have anything to say? Um. Oh, I was going to say that when I was less versed um, in Marvel, uh, yeah, less versed in Marvel, um, I initially thought Zola was was Modoc and uh and I thought that's what they were yeah like what was being alluded to here um and I really I really liked I liked it because to I don't know I it's something about the scene like what Danny says that it works really well and I buy everything that Zola is telling you know is telling is telling us and also like in cap one um Zola is very much like he's not necessarily given the spotlight that he uh, deserves for his um, work with the Tesseract. And 
I was going to argue, but I was like, no, you're, you're good. You're good. Oh, Go Sorry. yeah. You're you good. know, he's he's very much like uh, Red Skull is just kind of like, OK, yeah, cool. You did this. Now step out of the way. Um, and Zo- like this to me is like Zola's like I I reached uh, the, you know, like the epitome of my of my work, you know, and uh, and yeah, so I, I like that character payoff. Um, between yeah, he feels Cap he also feels way more committed to his ideals here than he does in Cap One. Yeah, yeah, uh, which yeah is good. Um, okay, let's move on because we're, we're let's go, let's go, let's go. Yep. You know, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I will say that this is the part in the movie where I think the setup for the themes starts to falter. Um, yes, just because I don't think they are. I, I don't think they spend enough time once you realize that this isn't like an individual villain, this is like a system that's the villain. I don't think they yeah. ever spend the time to truly deconstruct that. Mm. Yeah, and the thing is is like I think the entire thing kind of it, it's not the fault of this movie. Um because it's like the system is broken, we gotta fix the system. we gotta break down the system and create something new. Yeah. But then later on in the upcoming movies afterwards Shield might not be there, but the structure still basically is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Nick Fury still and his friends still function the same, even though they don't show up as much. Which is also probably why I think Phase Three is uh, the. That's why I, people always talk about how like Phase Three was really when Marvel came into its own. I think it came into its own because it finally really abandoned. Yeah, because even Age of Ultron includes Shield infrastructure in a way. Age yeah. of Ultron, Joss Whedon abandons every single bit of yes. setup in all the other movies. With the characters. Um, yeah. But y'all can talk about that on the Ultron episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually, I want to give them a quick, quick shout out, not to Ultron, but people forget about this with this movie is like, I think Cap 2, at least for me, I take it for granted. Uh, but 2014 was such a great year for Marvel. That was the year when Marvel came to its own and in the way that 2015 made you be like, eh, did they? Because. Yeah. Yeah, Cap it was the reason why we really Guardians scratched our head. So good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it's why we scratched our head with Avengers two. You know, and, after, and even Ant Man to me. And yeah, I would say Marvel did not really come back into me being like, "This is going to be great again." Until we got Guardians two, Homecoming, which doesn't really work, but to me. But then the three punch, as I always say, the three punch of Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, and Infinity War. Even though I'm not as big as on Infinity War as a lot of people, I still think mm-hmm. the fact that they mostly pulled it off uh, was like something that people were like, "Wow, I can't believe they did that!" Like you know, type of thing. Like Infinity yeah. War does, for the most part, pull off what it's trying to do. Well, that, that's for the Infinity a, War episode. <laughs> there's such but a yeah, big difference on. between just getting two Marvel movies a year and getting three or four. Because if you have mm-hmm. three or four Marvel movies and one of them doesn't hit, then you just kind of brush it off. But if you have yeah. only two each year. And one of them doesn't hit, then that's a much bigger deal. Especially if if the one that doesn't hit is that first film of yeah. the year. You know, it's like, do I really want to spend the money on this next one? Yeah. Uh, but I will say also that I recognize I'm in the minority on Homecoming. So for most people, it is a run from Guardians two to Infinity War, where it's all very great Marvel movies. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. know I'm in the minority on. Um, Spider-Man Homecoming. So that to me is when it's like, yeah, Marvel is a seal of quality. But anyway, we are need to get back to Cap 2. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so speaking of speaking of Zola, he's got that algorithm. Sorry, 
do we want to talk super quick about Falcon? Because this is when Falcon's introduced, is right before the algorithm is brought up. Oh, yeah. Students. Yeah. Do, uh, I mean, he got a show. No, we don't. Okay, we can, <laughs> we can just go on. <laughs> I guess, unlike Tyler, I really like uh, Anthony Mackie's personality. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least the personality that he brings to the role, maybe not outside of the MCU. Um, but, I think Mackie is very good in this movie, actually. Yeah. But like yeah. even even in this movie where I think Falcon is the strongest, it's all coasting off of Mackie's charisma, and there isn't mm-hmm. much character. I I want to say one thing about Mackie in this, which is that and this is we'll bring this up again with the score, which is that I was surprised by how I don't want to say this sets up Falcon and Winter Soldier, but how mm-hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier jumps off of this because I remember when I was watching Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I was very like, is this really uh, Falcon's thing to like mediate and be good about this? You know what I mean? But he, you see that in his sequences here before he puts on the wings. Yeah. He's always yeah. trying to mediate a response. I'm like, oh, okay, so I like that. You know, it makes me want to give Falcon and Winter Soldier a little more credit. Just a little bit. Not a lot. I still don't like it. But a little more credit there of this <laughs> characterization. Um, now we can go on. Sorry. I wanted to just say that about Falcon. Uh, going back to Zola and his algorithm, I, I'm still not sure. I've tried to piece it like piece it together break it apart how does zola's algorithm predict stephen strange will be a threat because i believe at this time stephen strange is still a a doctor so if i remember right doctor strange in the movie implies that stephen strange is like a cover of time magazine-esque doctor like he's a superstar doctor who only takes the cool cases that are relevant to him so that to me is like oh so neck of the not really set up, but when Doctor Strange comes out and it's like, because I remember that is a part of his thing, is like he doesn't take things that he thinks he's going to lose a, do- a case on, right? Like, isn't that right, like a part right. of Doctor Strange? Like, he doesn't want to yeah. lose a life when he's doing it, so he takes easy things that we give him quick glory. Um, and I think that works with it. Like, this kind of sets up that in a way that I would even argue Doctor Strange doesn't need to. Because the idea mm-hmm. that Captain America would know who this random doctor is immediately goes, oh, okay, so. Like this doctor's a household name type of thing. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. That makes more. Makes more sense. Yeah. Cause at 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 a just casual like watch, it's like, yeah, we're dropping names of uh, you know, future. Well, because the important thing is, projects, is like, but... it's a name that everyone in the room should know. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't yeah. say the name. So that gives you setup that Doctor Strange is relevant in the world. But it's also most <laughs> people. Most people wouldn't know who Stephen Strange is just. In a theater in 2014, I think. So, yeah. I think that little pop, I remember. I remember people were like, I don't know, that name sounds familiar, type of thing. At least among my friends. Yeah. I think so. (laughs) But I'm thinking, when I think of Marvel movies, I think of like dads, mainly because I go see most of the Marvel movies with my dad. But like, I actually saw this movie Drew. Yeah. Just like the podcast Drew. Just like the casual dad who's just like, oh, yeah, I like these movies. I'm not going to keep up to date on the lore or anything, but I'll go see the ones that interest me. I have a great dad story whenever we talk about Far From Home, but we'll save that for when we talk about Far From Home. Uh, (laughs) 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 I think Caleb might know this story. I can't remember if I've told him it or not. Uh, Okay, so my next note is Cleveland. This was shot in Mm -hmm. Cleveland like Avengers, and the reason I have Cleveland listed is because the... the, Well, first, when I was watching this, I texted my friend who lives in D.C. I'm like, does this movie capture D.C.? Well, he's like, no, it's Cleveland. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Uh, But... The scene we're going to talk about soon is the bridge fight, which is our next note. 
the fight, the bridge where this takes place is such like, this is like, I don't know how to describe this. I don't want to be like, it's the Golden Gate Bridge of Cleveland, but I kind of want to say that. <laughs> like, if you well, if you ever go to Cleveland, you know where this bridge is. Like, I'm just saying, like, if you're in Cleveland, this is the bridge that goes in and out of, you know, like, it's it's Cleveland. It's 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 nice. It's solid. It's a, <laughs> it's a good bridge. It's an important bridge, uh, like, <laughs> to navigate the city. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm a big fan that of That makes Cleveland. more sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, but yeah, I just want to more. say that. Sorry, that's why I wanted to mention Cleveland. <laughs> like, I know this bridge. It's very important to me. <laughs> talking about that bridge, uh, uh, Caleb, did you want to say something on the on the bridge fight? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the bridge fight is amazing. And I think uh, what really sells it is that it has wonderful sound design. Um, and I think it's one of the only times in Marvel where I really noticed the sound. Um, mm-hmm. but like the, from the industrial, like whirring sound of, uh, of the, of the arm winter soldier's arm to like the yeah. impact of the punches and stuff, it is very versatile or, uh, visceral. you can, so yeah, versatile. Yeah. Visceral. Whatever that word is, Danny, okay, <laughs> but you can feel the word. <laughs> like you can feel the impact of it. And I also think like it's laid out real well. Everyone gets, um, moments to do. Black Widow gets some really cool uh, action in this, and I'm not the biggest I Black remember, Widow fan, but mm-hmm. it always sticks out to the, me. Uh, I remember loving the reveal that um, the the phone or whatever you want to call it, the yeah, movie, the, the playback. I remember loving that playback. Uh, uh, yeah, I I want to uh, expand on like what you say about the like the sound for this scene. I actually use I uh, like when I set up my my sound system at home and then when i set up my parents sound system i use captain america winter soldier like i use this scene so that way i can tell like is the bass too much does the sub need to be turned down um you know it's very dynamic in in its sound and it gives it gives you great work with the sound effects with uh dialogue with music it's got every you know every uh audio aspect it within that scene and uh, and it works works re- yeah really well. The sound design overall uh, for this movie, I I really like the sound design for it. I this is this is my perspective that I just want to say really quick, which is I don't know, it's fine, you know, like that that's what I'm at. like. It's fine, it works. You're right. I think more about the reason why I see. Okay, I want to clarify that it sounds like I'm being negative. But I don't know. I just watched Heat a few weeks ago. And it's not okay. It's guns. not as good as Heat, but Heat, <laughs> Sorry, Heat, Heat is considered like the best Heat. sound design for gunfights of the new movie. Oh so like. <laughs> Sorry, that's why I was like, it's no heat. I'm sorry. <laughs> but compared to every other Marvel movie, I think it stands out. Yeah. Well, I think every other Marvel movie doesn't have the same need for like I, I i guess the other sound is okay so the main sounds of marvel this is me this is just a weird something the main sounds of marvel i think of are it's not mcu but wolverine's claws uh cap shield in general and thor's hammer and not, i guess the um, repulsor blats yeah i was i would have blast. added the repulsors yeah they're good yeah. too but besides that uh i guess yeah i think the shadow of bucky's arm is a good one particularly like when he clenches it or whatever you want to call it you know it tightens i think that's a good moment i don't know Ah, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't really want to talk about. I I don't have much to contribute about the sound design, personally. So that's why I'm like, yeah, it's a good fight. 
I'd I'd yeah. say it's it may not be my favorite Marvel fight. I'd have to give that some thought, but it's definitely it sticks out, and I'd put it in the top five. So so Danny, you want to talk about uh, GPS? Oh, okay. And- I forgot I had the next point. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um. So here's the thing, and it wasn't like this when I first saw it, obviously. Uh, but this movie actually loses me after this fight. It's I know exactly when it loses me. It's when we cut to Maria Hill in the car with everyone and it's just like everything after that just kind of wrote to me including even the mm. action at the end i don't know why it was just as soon as that hit i just kind of was on my phone for us the movie and i tried not to be uh i just was totally like i don't know i'm not as engaged anymore i think it might be because to me the the interesting parts of the fights are winter soldiers like determination yeah type of thing he's very he's very much the terminator in this uh and then after that, it's like, he's not anymore. And it's, I don't want to say it's slower, but it's also just like the action isn't nearly as interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of the CGI thing, too. It goes very CGI, very big. Uh, and again, these are all issues that I have now. These aren't gotcha. issues I had when I first saw the movie. It's just on rewatch, I'm not as compelled yeah. after the bridge fight. Yeah, um, yeah. It is clearly, I won't say it's the best action in the movie, but uh, the Marvel but it might be in the movie, and that's why to me, after, it's just kind of like, okay, I got the good stuff, I'm out, type of thing. Mm. Even though I'm still watching, you know? But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think the the fighting on the helicarriers doesn't quite live up to this scene, mm. for better or worse. Yeah. I think I yeah. think those scenes are trying to do other things, but we'll talk about those a um, little bit. When Bucky is getting reset... Um, uh, re-brainwashed. One of the people working on him is the is the creator of Winter Soldier, Ed Brubaker. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. What's not I, as he's cool, been in the news recently. Yeah. Yeah. Is he made more money off of his ten seconds of screen time than he has ever made from Marvel Comics? Because uh, mm. you don't make money in comics <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, mean, um, I think isn't the note kind of like he invented Winter Soldier. But he didn't invent Bucky, so he doesn't get anything for it, right? Is um, that basically it? Yeah, comics have a long and storied history of screwing over their comic creators. So if it wasn't, if that wasn't Marvel's excuse, they would have another one. So we're going to skip the entire third act for now, because I have it actually <laughs> in my... Well, I have it later on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Trouble Man's... Trouble, yeah, the Trouble Man soundtrack, which is not only relevant in this, but also in Falcon Winter Soldier... Um, in that one discussion, <laughs> but, uh, I've, I've listened to the Trouble Man soundtrack. I cannot give any, like, I've listened to it once just as a, like, it was playing while I, you know, while I, uh, while I was working, but it's, it's a good, it's a good soundtrack. I, I like it. And, uh, this, the, the ending to the movie playing, you know, playing Trouble Man over that is, I'm like, yeah, this is this is the, like the perfect uh, wrap up, you know. To we're just showing you kind of where everything's tying, like wrapping up for for this uh, chapter and where we're gonna step off. You're for telling the next me you're one. not wait, wait. So trouble, man. You're saying that you don't think it's a masterpiece. It's complete, I, comprehensive. 
It captures the African American. Zemo. <laughs> I I cannot give I can't I cannot give because I didn't give it like a deep listen you know a deep listen. To I just it, wanted to quote Zemo. But... I'm being totally honest with you. I just quote. <laughs> I think I think it's kind of cool in that it's not the if you're gonna pick a black exploitation soundtrack to have falcon give cap it's not like the obvious yeah. one like how cringe would it be if he's like you should listen to the shaft soundtrack like it's yeah. just yeah, it'd be I, too obvious i also yeah. like that the needle it's the only needle drop in this movie so that way mm-hmm. when it hits it actually feels like i don't want to say like it matters but like it it, it has significance you remember it you remember yeah. it because it's the only one type of yeah. thing yeah and it's used well outside of one thing which i'll mention later on uh so uh so let's talk about what we've ignored for this entire breakdown, right. which is the main reason we're talking about this, which is Black about Widow this in movie. this movie. Yeah. Uh, she who is, wants... She's very good in it. She's very good in it. She is. Uh, yeah. This is um, the closest we got to a Black Widow movie so far, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say too. Um, she's a very, feels like a very different Black Widow than what we had in Avengers 1. Um, but also I think she was kind of, she was sidecarred in uh i think she's it's an evolution avengers i think it's an evolution and, i wouldn't yeah. say it's yeah and i, and I can uh, buy I it as, not, as that too yeah. whereas yeah, iron man 2 it's very much like who is this person yeah and this movie kind of makes that explicit where cap is talking to her about like who really are you and she's like i'm mm-hmm. whatever i need to be um yeah which the problem is if my problem with that is i would then expect for her to have like a consistent character throughout the rest of the MCU. But I really don't feel like she ever does. I feel like mm-hmm. when you get into Ultron, she feels completely different. And then she's never important enough until you get to uh end game for her to feel when she like dies in the time same heist hyperlink. Yes, when we get to heist. time heist hyperlink Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she talks about in this film like wanting to go straight. Um so I I really wonder because Avengers like they allude to her past, but they're like she's like I got read in the ledger and then Loki like name drops um a couple things in Avengers one and then in this one she's like I thought going with Shield I was going straight but it turns out that I was you know I was on the wrong the whole time so the I closest she gets to development is that talk in Falcon's house yeah movie, yeah. And so, it's, in so the it's truck, kinda, it's the scene in the truck. Yeah, the scene in the truck is the, is the one that I'm really. really oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. I was uh, trying to remember. I, I really like. I really like that scene in the truck because it's like it's when it, I also wanted to point out, like Falcon and Winter Soldier, when this film takes its time to slow down with its characters, it it really gives the characters the time and dialogue that they need. It's not just filler to get us to the next to the next point. You know, I, I like the reveal that Black Widow has never worn a bikini since the '90s. That was a good reveal. <laughs> no more bikinis. How often yeah. is she going out to the pool, though? How often is she taking a dip? Honestly, right. I'm not. I, I'm a little surprised that with that party Avengers scene in Ultron, that Joss Whedon did not feel the need to give us a beach scene. It seems like something he would definitely do. Glad he didn't, but definitely seems like something he could do. Right. So, Danny, uh, you like to talk about the credits, Marvel credits. Funny enough, I didn't actually list it here, but they are good credits. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're pretty cool. I, think the, I remember the billing is impressive, because I think this is the only... I think there's three characters in the MCU that get the 
character billing. And by mm-hmm. that I mean they get a billing as, like, they get a with credit or an and credit with as. Samuel L. Jackson yeah. always gets for as Nick Fury. Redford gets it as Alexander Pierce, even though to just say as Robert Redford. Uh, and <laughs> and then I believe uh, Michael Douglas gets it for as Hank as Dr. Hank Pym, if I remember right. Um, I should look that up, but I'm pretty sure Michael Douglas gets it too. Uh, does uh, does Brolin not get one as Thanos? I don't think so. I think it's just okay. with Josh Brolin. Uh, yeah, uh, I could check that quick if you want me to while you guys continue to talk about the credits because I actually don't have much to say about it. I trust you, Danny. I just figured that would be one where they would. Um, but yeah, no, I I like these credits. It's the first time I remember Marvel having kind of fun credits. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I wait, I'm stupid. Of course, Vin Diesel gets it as Groot and Bradley Cooper gets it as Rocket. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, sorry, and you're right. Josh Bolton does get it as Thanos. So gotcha. You're right. Uh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I was just like, oh. So, hot take on the score. Not really hot take, but uh, it is a hot take. <laughs> yeah, I mean, according Danny, to Danny, it's a hot take. Uh, In so, this call, though, it's Danny's the one with the hot take because I back you up on true. this, Tyler. Hey, there we go. Two, well, say your hot take. Two to one. That's majority. <laughs> uh, so this score has so okay. I want to say it's so far been my favorite score out of all the stuff that I've rewatched. And that's like the themes hit with what they're supposed to hit. Um, I really like Henry Jackman's composition and how well the sound design and the score meld together in this film. It's like the sound effects. I, it's like if I would listen to the score, you know, on, on my phone, stream it on my phone or whatever, that I, I should expect to hear like the shield hitting around it, you know, with how well how well they meld together. And, you know, part of that is part of that's like on sound design. The, the people who did the sound design for this film is like, yeah, they were that great in in how they worked with the audio. But also Jackman gave them a composition that worked, you know, that allowed them to do that. And I feel uh, like that's where I fall with like recent Nolan use yeah. of the score. Like Dunkirk and Tenet. People mm-hmm. are always like, the score is great. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't really separate the score from the sound design itself to give it credit. Gotcha. I, yeah, but I think that's, I think that's one of the, and there are a couple songs in here that stick out to me. The theme for the Lumerian star um, mm-hmm. and Winter Soldier, obviously. Uh, but I think, I think that is one of the benefits of the score is that it's so tied into the sound design. So it feels very grounded. Um, yeah. I don't think that this is a, even though it has moments of fanfare, I don't think that this is a movie that would work if you had this like big bombastic superhero style fanfare. Well, mm-hmm. I think it goes back to, um, so here's the thing. You might think I hate the score cause I hate Henry Jackman. I think it more works for what it is. Um, it's very born cause born does the same thing where the score is not recognizable, even though it has a very, as John Powell does the score for the born movies. And I usually, I think John Powell usually really stands out with the scores, and he does it with Bourne. Um, what was I going to say, though, about the score? I think it's interesting to note, because I think, to me, this is like a forgettable Marvel score outside the Winter Soldier score. But the score, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, was temp-tracked. Uh, not, not, okay, let me rephrase. The score was used as temp-track for a movie that has a very much more... I don't want to say memorable score, but a more uh, awarded score, a more talked about score, which is Mad Max Fury Road temp-tracked the Winter Soldier theme 
for this, but I think Fury Road scores more run rule because it's more separate from the sound design. Uh, I would also say Junkie XL is a better a better composer than Jackman. But it's Temp Track, the, the one of the most famous yeah. li- famous uh, sequences. I think the final sequence where the it's like a I don't know I can't sing it on the podcast because Junkie XL scores are also just hard to hum. But it is temp track from the. Winter it's Soul a bunch Winter. of wah 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 wah. He had to get the the yeah. dubstep out. It has a bunch of guitar in it, so let's be real here. Oh, uh, guitar guy! I love guitar yeah, guy. That's a guitar from, guy. Yeah. Uh, but so I, I don't want to be too negative towards the score, even though I usually am towards Henry Jackman. Uh, I think it's definitely better than his Civil War score and his uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier score. And I I alluded to it earlier, and I said it off mic earlier, but it's uh, I realized this watch that Falcon has a theme in this. Yeah. Because I thought he got a new theme in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it turns out, no, it's in this movie, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, I think that's sorry, what, I've li- what I've liked about Henry Jackman's um, stuff is that he's he's been, like, it, it seems that he's been a very collaborative composer in regards to the MCU and that he's like, yeah, I want to give each of these characters themes. And he also incorporates... You know, uh, like uh, Brian Tyler's uh, uh, fanfare, you know, is in there. Well, and he, I don't he also well, I don't want to give him credit for Brian Tyler's because I'm pretty sure exact, Marvel just dictated that was on the movie. Yeah, uh, but uh, what like what I'm what I'm saying is that like Jack Jackman also borrows stuff from Cap One, which Jackman was not the composer for. So I I like that. Uh, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, these characters have had this theme the entire way through, or they've had this theme before, so let's touch on it, you know, a little bit. He doesn't incorporate it in everything throughout, but it's, it's nice little, nice little just like, uh, gulps of water, you know. My counterpoint the there would be, I think you're giving him a bit too much credit, uh, just because he's a very well, no, because he he he's one of the more returning Marvel composers. Yeah, so he mostly samples his own stuff outside of what you mentioned. Like, there's no Avengers theme in this movie. There's no Sylvester theme popping up in it. There's no. Uh, I'm trying to think. Later on in Civil War, there's none of there's none of the multiple Iron Man themes that pop up. It never comes up. Right. Uh, even in Falcon Winter Soldier. I felt like the use of the Wakanda theme by Ludwig was a mandated requirement, not really his own work. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's because, like, an auteur composer can't really work for Marvel. I mean, I know they've had some come in. Um, uh, Desplat was famously fired. Yeah. Desplat was fired from uh, Black Widow. I feel like you need... a whole year to work on it, necessarily. <laughs> I feel like you need... Um, you need more journeyman composers to come in uh, and be able to fit whatever Marvel needs and not necessarily get upset if Marvel mandates X theme has to be put here. I, I would yeah. say, yeah, the most, the most uh, what do you call it, a tour composer they've had is Ludwig, right? I guess Patrick Doyle would too because that was early Elfman? enough in the process. Elfman was a replacement though. Like To me, he didn't have a lot of time to get his signature stample on there. Uh, That's fair. Uh, I'm trying to think of well. Although Elfman will be back next year with Doctor Strange, so maybe that will be something interesting. Maybe something yeah. will happen there. I think to me the most actually a tour composer besides ones we've listed is Mark Moversberg, because I think uh Thor Ragnarok does sound very Devo, very uh very wacky compared to the other stuff. But anyway, scores we love talking about it, but we got to move on. Yeah. 
So the deleted scenes, um, there wasn't much to, to talk about with these deleted scenes. Um, a couple of ones that I wanted to, to like touch on, uh, one is a, it's a scene of Hydra agents raiding a high school during a school day, um, in an attempt to find Steve Rogers. Uh, the removal of the scene doesn't really keep anything out of the story. Uh, but I imagine it was removed due to recent school shootings around that time, including the Sandy Hook massacre. Um, it's like Wait, with so that context. So the shot is basically um, we're at the Triskelion, and they're like, "Oh, hey, we found we found Cap, we found Steve Rogers," and then they give the address, and then we get this uh, we get this shot of to the in the street. It's the Shield vehicles driving through. Um, with sirens on, they pull up to the school, and then this is the part that's haunting now, thinking of of, this, of school shootings, is just the picture of, um, and it's the dissonance there that's really haunting. It's people who are all armed up in SWAT gear and guns infiltrating a school full of kids that are that, like they're in gym class. I'm surprised to see my shot, because the reason I say this is because that's this what I thought too. 2013. Yeah, shot and in 2013, exactly, and late 2012 was the Sandy Hook massacre. Yeah, or that's what I was early two, that, I Yeah, was 2000 or yeah. December 2012. I'm confused why it would be relevant to this movie to even have that's, this scene in it. That's what I. That's what I thought because I was like, it. What we get in the in the finished product is, uh, it's it just cuts to like we get this scene at the Triskelion. It's not hey we found Cap. Um, instead it is. It just cuts to Cap walking through the hospital, and he's in cl- he's changed out of his clothes. And it's kind of like, you know, if he's at the hospital, we one, we find out why he's at the hospital. He's confronting Natasha. But um, two, he's in different clothes, and it's like, yeah, he's on the run. You know, we'd yeah. expect that. But then also, at, at hospitals, they have rooms where they have, like, hospital staff who, are, who work, like, especially in emergency rooms and such, they have lockers in their rooms, you know, where like they would come dressed, they wouldn't come dressed in their scrubs because they needed to be as sanitized as sanitary as possible. Um, most wouldn't. Um, and so they would come to, you know, come to work in like the street clothes and then change into the scrubs there. So it's, it's plausible that he would find some, you know, someone's street clothes and then walk through the hospital, you know? So it's, it works in the way that, you know that it's that the final product that we got, but uh, yeah, it. I was really curious. I was like, why would they even, sh- uh, even yeah, I, film it that? Still doesn't yeah. feel like it fits into the movie at all. It doesn't it's like a cut. Yeah, uh, I don't know why they would waste the effort to shoot it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that. Like it does not seem relevant. And the then, other scene you have here seems yeah. more of a thing that the it, bomber that was it does, of. and I I really wish that we got it, especially given the movie that's going to be coming out. So it's. Fury explains to Natasha why he didn't tell her about him faking his death. Um, He explains, you would have done the same thing. Natasha replies, I know that's the problem. And that's a continuation of that that scene between... Her theme in this movie wanted to be more transparent. Exactly. And that, that, like, it fits with her conversation that she had with Cap in the truck, you know, before this. So, so yeah, I'm like, I really like this instead of, no, we're in the third act now, so we've got to prepare for our, our, our Marvel fight, you know? 
Well, so we kind of yeah. It might have been cut because we have the Falcon and Cap scene, and we have the Bucky and Cap flashback also. So it might mm. have just been like we want to pick up the pacing a bit, type of thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Was that what you're gonna? Yeah, Caleb. Yeah, I I was gonna say that it makes sense why they cut it, but it is a shame. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think that if you had to cut something in that like little segment, then I probably would have cut the flashback. Because that just kind of feels more. They, have to, they spent so much money on it, though the CGI. Yeah, it feels like they want to <laughs> they want to show off, and it could just because they're not sure if people would remember who Bucky is. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like that would have added a little bit more than seeing Skinny Cap again. Can yeah. I jump off of that and just randomly say something I did want to mention that I forgot, and then we can move on to the post credits scenes. Sure. Is uh, I had forgotten particularly because uh, I watched Cap one a few months ago. Uh, and we'll I'll watch it again this year. Don't worry. Um, but this movie, I forget how much of a sequel it is to Cap One. Not only with the Toby Jones stuff, but it's like there's this, like the portraits of, uh, well, not the portraits, but the pictures. Of course, Haley Atwell also, but uh, Tommy Lee Jones has his like picture on the wall type of thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is, mm-hmm. actually stands out. I think this is the last time it really. Well, besides the TV show, Dominic Cooper is referred to as Howard Stark. Because usually they go to John Slattery for the uh, yeah, the depictions yeah, of Howard yeah. Stark. And this is the last time it's like, oh, nope, there's Dominic Cooper. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I just kind of liked it. I forgot. Because also it's easy to forget this movie came out three years after Cap 1. Which is pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it just jumps to this totally different genre. Which is more now what we identify as the Cap genre. Like this Cap subgenre in these movies. is more like what the Russos do. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I just wanted to give that a little mention. Yeah. So, uh, about those post credit scenes, how many post credit scenes were there? Were there There's two? Two. Because two. I watched this on Disney Plus, and it only showed. It doesn't, me... Yeah, it doesn't skip ahead. You have to fast yeah. forward to see it. Yeah, because and I just figured because it started recommending the next movie to me, which was Civil War, and they did that last week like, with Avengers well, though. Also, I don't know if you yeah, got all like, the way through uh, with Avengers. Well, they don't often skip ahead to Sharma. They don't. Oh, just I watched. Skip ahead to Sharma. I watched Avengers like on my. DVD, Blu-ray, Ooh. home release. But <laughs> anyways. Uh, I remember nice. that Yeah. Nice. I have uh, the old cover. Uh, the original cover that looks better. I'm just saying. I uh, had that one, but then uh, then I let someone borrow it and their backpack was stolen. So I had to get the next oh, one. Oh, yeah. uh, bummer. Um, I, think this, I think I've given this opinion before on something a different one, but I think these scenes should have been switched. I think mm-hmm. the Bucky scene is way more relevant to this movie. And I get that the Age of oh, Ultron yeah, scene is going to yeah. have more of a payoff yeah. quicker. But I also don't really see what it has to do with the movie. Because here's the thing. It's more like you're going to wait for the credits, right? All the way. Uh, it has to be worth it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd rather the mid credit scene be something that's more tied. I think Thor Ragnarok has the same issue. Uh, coming. Up, I don't. I know that's not the one I mentioned in this podcast. But I think it should be more tied into the movie you just watched. Uh, and the Bucky scene, it's like, who cares if you waited after all the credits for that? But yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I I really like uh, the the one post-credit that I actually got to see. The uh, Thomas Crutchman one, where it seems like Thomas Crutchman's going to be way more relevant to these movies. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's the age of what I call the age of miracles uh, scene, which is them saying like, "Yeah, we've been working on making superheroes." Um, uh, it's the 
kind of first, yeah, first uh, introduction of Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Um, I thought that not so much the scene, like the scene, I'm like, yeah, it works. Okay, it's an immediate reaction to the film. Um, I do agree, Danny, that the scene should have been switched um, because of that reason. But uh, the, the big thing that I that I like is how Strucker talks about this is the age of miracles. And I'm kind of like, you know, that's the perfect way quote. to describe to describe the era, that time that yeah. like, you know, because uh, I would imagine that our reality and the MCU reality is very similar throughout until, you know, like obviously, Iron yeah, Iron Man. And then it's very much like the timeline split. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I'm like, you know, that's that's the perfect way to describe it, because it's like we call it our reality, the modern era, you know, but for them, it's like this is the age of miracles. And I'm like, yeah, that, I like that. Anyways. Well, yeah. and and because like what most people's perception of the world would be would probably be focused on like the destruction that the alien invasion caused. And mm-hmm. because this is a Hydra agent, they are. You, they are going to use this amazing like superpowers to cause more destruction. Um, yeah, it would. Of course, this person sees like that potential for harm as a miracle. I want to say two things about this post credit scene. First, is about the first one which we just talked about, which is um, I I think I might have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I do want to mention it again if I and I don't know if I have. Uh, I just think it's funny how this post credit scene exists to say that Marvel put up Quicksilver on the big screen before X Fox did. Because this came out like a month before Days of Future Past. <laughs> and in my mind, that is literally the only reason this is the post credit scene. So they're like, no, we got Quicksilver on the big screen first. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also think, I don't know if he's in the post credit scene, but I want to mention the weird cameo this movie has, which is Gary Sinise plays uh, the museum voiceover role. Uh, it's a very weird cameo. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Um, but yeah. Uh, I don't know. They're 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 good. They're decent post credits. Let's see where I yeah. ranked it on Letterboxd in it. I just forget where these go. Uh, because I well, you know I have that, I have that post credits scene list. Yeah. Uh, while you're looking that up, um, yeah. Would you rewatch the film, Caleb? Yeah. Um, I don't go back and rewatch movies that much after theaters. Yeah. Um, but this is this is one of the few that I think I would make a concerted effort every couple of years to go back and watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Me too. Me too. Definitely. Uh, like I said earlier, wish, wish that like, I don't give this film enough, enough credit. Um, and I, I really need to amp up my rewatch of it less so than what, or more so than what I've done with Avengers one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, first, I, first to go back to what I was saying, it's my fourth number four in stingers, uh, even mm. though this, they should be switched. Uh, this is my number four reminder that the the TV shows are not counted in them. Uh, anyway, yeah. So what for rewatch? I have a very weird opinion, and I'm going to tie it into my Green Room movie this week, which is that I watched Fast Five in a theater last night. Yeah, uh, and I'd never seen it in a theater, and I think I would rewatch this movie if it gets a theatrical re-release. Uh, otherwise, I don't know when I'm going to bother rewatching because, as I said, the third act always just very much. I disengage with it for some reason. I don't think that would happen in a theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is a good movie. It's kind of it is kind of in that position for me with Cap One, no, not Cap One, Avengers One, where it's kind of become one that I've seen too much personally. Gotcha. So 
It's on TV, sure. Otherwise, I'd watch it. I don't really want to see Craft, but yeah. I don't know when I'd rewatch it, otherwise. The last time I'd seen this was 2017, I think. I do I do wish that I would have would have seen this one in theaters. I didn't see this one in theaters, so I don't they think, gotta like... They got a release. Definitely would uh, recommend it, because it's also... Definitely. Caleb said about the sound design. Uh, yeah. Imagine it played better in a, plays better in a theater. Well, maybe in a couple years, it will... I'm not... Who knows if they'll do, like, a 10-year anniversary for it, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if next year they re-release Avengers, and then it would be cool if in... Uh, 2024, they do this in Guardians in theaters. Yeah, I was that, a little bummed they didn't put out cool. more uh, last uh, fall during you know the big reopening where there was a ton of releases. There wasn't really any Marvel stuff. I think Guardians 1 played. I think that was the only one they released of the Marvel mm. library, which was kind of a bummer. So Black Panther played. Um, oh, yeah, of course, but Nashville. that's... That's a... that Yes, I don't really tie that to Marvel because it released because of Chadwick's uh, passing. Uh, yeah. But yes, you're right. Black Panther did re-release as well. Uh, but yeah. All right. Predictions for the Black Widow movie. I think this is more like what we want out of it. This can be a really quick thing. Uh, I want Florence Pugh to be really good in it. And I kind of have this mentioned later on is that I want there to be a grounded action. A good ground. Because I, I think even Falcon and Winter Soldier kind of left me down on this point. It did not reach the level of the Russo's uh, stuff here. I don't think the Russo stuff ever reached the level here again, personally. Yeah. I want to see more action that's like how it shot the way it is in this movie. Uh, and I hope Black Widow gives me that. I think there's there's potential in the trailers. So I'm not... Yeah. So that's my prediction. Uh, as for Black Widow's character, uh, it's going to be interesting because I feel like this is going to actually have to be a closing for her character because she's dead. Um, and I don't think Scar Joe wants to continue on really either. This is her send-off movie type of thing. So... I'm curious how you end this character that, as I think Tyler said, or maybe Caleb said, it's kind of been shafted throughout her entire run. It's going to be good that she finally gets a spotlight, but I hope it's done well. You guys? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like, uh, I I really hope that it's not, I really hope that the Black Widow film is going to treat, give the character the treatment that she's deserved. Um, And uh, I've, I really, I hope that it's not going to be a movie to set up further, further properties, um, uh, because I think that would cheap, you know, that would cheapen, cheapen that, and uh, yeah. So that's that's kind of my thing is like give Other give Garjo. Okay, I'm setting up Florence Pugh. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Um, yeah. Um, I'm the only thing I'm really looking forward to that with this movie is that I'll get to see it in the theaters with my dad, which I haven't seen since, I don't know, I guess Far From Home. Was that the last Marvel that movie? That was the last, last. Yeah. 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 Unless you went to so, see Black, Black Panther or Guardians yeah. last. So. <laughs> if, if he didn't want to see it, I might have waited for it to go up on Disney Plus for free um, because mm-hmm. I've... I just hope that they're able to kind of build off of her character here and maybe show us what she's running from. Like, what is the red in her ledger? Um, yeah. I think, I, yeah. I think I've always thought the setting of this right after Civil War is such a weird time to put it, but eh. yeah. yeah, we'll see. Uh, but also that's a, that's going to be a fun thing. I forgot that that's when it's set. I feel like the way Marvel puts out their movies kind of invalidates the consequences of the, whatever came before. Um, mm-hmm. But having like in between movies can maybe flesh that out 
and help. I really am looking forward to whenever they announce their first project that's set in those five years in Endgame. Yeah, I really hope they do that at some point. Um, um, also, uh, I hope that Florence Pugh is very forgettable so that they can recast her as Emma Frost in the X Men. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, all right. I'm trying to think. Oh. I don't know. Never mind. I was going to say something stupid that isn't really relevant. It's about Black Widow. We can talk about that down the road. Uh, Wise Awards. Let's do it. MVP. Tyler. We'll just go right. what we have enlisted. I'm going to go with ScarJo. Um, I watched this I watched this movie uh, this time around uh, focusing a lot more like on ScarJo, similar to how I watched Avengers last week focusing on Loki. Um, and, and, yeah, like her... I, I want some more... Uh, yeah, fleshed out like story with with her, but she does a really good job in this film. Um, despite it not being a Black Widow Winter Soldier film, you know. Yeah. Uh, mine is a uh, should be obvious because I talked about him a ton. Is Robert Redford? Uh, mm-hmm. he immediately elevates every scene he's in. I don't actually. Th- I think if I was to really think about it, I might not pick him. But he is the asset that this movie has that no other Marvel movie does. And as such, I really like, to me, this is why I always revisit this, this, besides the action is, oh yeah, Robert Redford's in this movie and he's so cool in it. Um, But yeah, that's why I pick Redford. Gotcha. I'll go with Chris Evans. I think what he really nails about Cap, um, because, you know, he's funny, he's good at the action and all that stuff, but he nails like the deep sadness that Cap has. Mm -hmm. Um, And like just how he talks to Falcon or when he goes and visits um, Peggy, like you can just see a very, uh, like very nuanced. Yeah. Very nuanced sadness, which I really appreciate. And I think sticks out about this character. I think Evans is a very underrated actor in general. And this is a, probably his best Marvel outing besides maybe Endgame. Um, That's a big maybe though. Cause I'd have to rewatch Endgame focusing on Evans to really nail that. Yeah. I never think he's bad in a movie. I just think that this gives him the most to do. He has a weird reputation mm-hmm. of being wooden, and I don't know why. I really don't. Uh, before this movie, to be clear, before I think the Snowpiercer and Knives Out uh, both made people think, oh no, Evans is a good actor. Uh, yeah. Thing. Um, uh, favorite scene? I'm going to go with the Winter Soldier chase scene. Um, which, which one is, is- yeah, that There's yeah, several. sorry. Because I realized several. I was like, there are several where it's just like he's back. Um yeah, I'm talking about the uh I think it's it's the the same as as Caleb is that like it's that it's that uh bridge. It's it's where we get the winter soldier reveal. You know, we get yeah. a lot of stuff happening in the in that scene. And uh it's it's the one that I that I use to set up sound systems. So uh, so yeah, it's, it's as a practical use. Exactly. <laughs> so my favorite scene is listed as the agents of shield crossover. And I want to explain this a bit because I've never talked about agents of shield in this podcast and we didn't talk about the scene yet. And it's actually a really big scene in the movie is that the week before this movie came out on agents of shield season one, which I actually watched, uh, the post credit scene for agents of shield was a clip from this movie and it was Nick Fury going down the road and swerving out of the way and it's actually the end of the scene where he sees the Winter Soldier, and the Winter Soldier mm. approaches him. I actually like the entire thing preceding that. I think that set piece is really creative uh, with Nick Fury in the car and the car yeah. change of all the uh, Hydra agents going after him. 
Uh, and it has really good Marvel jokes, in my opinion. The is anything working? Uh, air conditioning. Air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Full capacity. That's a really good joke. Uh, yeah. I think there's so much creative stuff to it. Uh, and I think it's really underrated in this movie. And it's probably actually, in all these movies, the best Nick Fury scene, action-wise. Uh, yeah. It's just a really good sequence all around. Some, and I, I something else. A shout-out. Because yeah. uh, Nick or uh, Samuel Jackson probably can't do like the amount of action that like anyone else in these movies can because he's older but this like he doesn't need to do a lot it's like a he doesn't chase. need to move around it's really lot. good yeah but he's and still his personality like, there's a variety of, yeah there's a variety of stuff he can do and like he's con- and because it just comes out of nowhere you get to see his intelligence which is really cool yeah I love that scene. I, I, we didn't talk about it, so I wanted to bring it up, too. Yeah, but it is yeah my no, that, scene that's movie. a good scene. I also like in that scene, um, we really see the the blending of, like, Tony Stark's, like, technological influences, like, coming into, with S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, coming into, like, you know, where he's maybe been in, like, their uh, R&D department, and he's like, hey, yeah, you know, here's a little bit of this, here's a little bit of this. Uh, yeah, I like... It's like his presence is in this film just a little, a little bit, you know, just so that you know, like, yeah, we're still in this big connected universe. Yeah. Um, so before we move on to Caleb's, can I just say one thing about Nick Fury too, because we didn't talk about him much? Is yeah. there's one scene in this movie that's a cool moment that I still go, oh yeah, whenever it happens, and that's in the third act where he goes like, when Robert is like, of course I wiped you from the database, and he's like. Well, you need to keep both eyes open. And it's like the reveal of his scarred eye for the first time in the MCU. And mm-hmm. I just always like, oh, that's so, like, it's such a good moment. And it's clearly designed to be a clap moment, but I do want to clap at home. It's so good. It's a great moment. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, favorite It's not my favorite, favorite moment, scene, though. What's the favorite <laughs> scene for, for you, Caleb? Uh, much like you, it's the bridge scene. I think it's just really well constructed action. The sound is amazing in it. Um, and yeah, I, I talked about it enough in the episode proper, but uh, you guys, you should go watch that scene. Yeah. I think you can watch it by itself, too, which yeah, is Yeah, cool. it works. I think it, it has a nice mm-hmm. narrative arc. It has, the, yeah. it has the knife flip, which we don't have listed as the best moment, but it's a very memed moment from this movie, the knife flip of uh, Winter mm. Soldier. Uh, anyway, worst scene. Um, the Bucky mind wipe scene, which I didn't mind until a little-known movie called Captain America Civil War comes out, and they're like, well, actually, there's this little red book that we have. Um, and well, it that's just not the kinda... of this movie. Right, right. <laughs> so, but, yeah. But you can still pick it. I was like... <laughs> but it, it, it is something that, that I'm... It's a retcon that's an, annoyed me that I'm like, anytime I watch this film, it immediately pulls me out of the, of the movie, which this movie... Does really good at keeping its audience pulled in, um, and that that always pulls me out because I'm like, he's like reset him, and then they do shock, they use shock therapy, and I'm like, okay, but also you've got this little red book that it was like very clear. So I don't know, it's it just it brings up a lot more questions than it than it answers necessarily. You just don't want Ed Brubaker to make any money off of this movie. <laughs> he, Ed uh, Brubaker could be the one reading the words. <laughs> true, true. Ed, yeah. Brubaker, Ed Brubaker should have played Frank Grillo's role, obviously. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Danny? 
So mine is, it's more like a moment, but during the end montage of Trouble Man, when it cuts to Agent Carter, I hate it. Because she really <laughs> is not, well, she hasn't done anything in this movie. Let's be real. She doesn't do anything in this movie, but she gets a special little moment in the end montage where she yep. works for the CIA. And it's like, oh, it literally looks like if, honestly, like, let's say you'd gone to the bathroom during like one of Agent, like one of her <laughs> rare scenes of this movie that she was in, in the third yeah. act. And you came back and you just saw her and you'd be like, why did they splice a CIA recruitment ad in the middle of this montage? And yeah. like, it's like, like, yeah, it's dumb. I don't like it. <laughs> uh, what about you, Caleb? So I think it's the second World Security Council scene um, is terribly shot because it's Robert Redford and then, you know, the holograms of mm-hmm. all the people. But the camera never stops spinning. And it is. Yeah, it's, it's very what- Michael Bay. It felt yeah. very Michael Bay to me, or Louis Lettier. Which, and it's just, I feel like this is not a movie that feels like it needs to constantly be moving the camera, so it feels very out of place. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, best moment? Uh, best moment for me was Cap having this reflex of holding the shield up while he's running, even though he doesn't have the shield Uh like on his arm. I'm thinking of during the excuse me, bridge fight after he uh when he's in the bus, like he's running through the bus and then they they've got the uh the hydra agents have this minigun and they're just tearing through the bus with bullets and he's narrowly escaping the bullets uh and he's he's running with his arm held up as if he's got a shield on and I'm like that's really that's really cool acting for Evans uh, to be like, yeah, Cap would, out of instinct, hold his arm up, thinking, I've got a shield, got to protect my head, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I that that was like, that just that's just something that I was like, I really appreciate you, Chris Evans. <laughs> I appreciate that. I don't know if it was Evans or a directorial move, but, uh, but yeah. Could no, it, was, stunt coordinator. Really like that. it could even be the stunt coordinator, you know? It doesn't even need to be the director. Because um, I'm, probably some of that was second unit. Uh, but anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb, what's yours? Because I'm looking at I don't remember what yours is. Yeah, so it comes at the end of the um, elevator fight, and so he's, like, surrounded by oh, these bodies. Yes. Okay. And it's an overhead shot where his, the shield's on the ground, he kicks it, and it magnetically connects to his arm. And there, every superhero has, like, a single action that I automatically think of. So, like, with Wolverine, it's this moment in X2 where he's, like, burying his claws in someone and, like, lifting them up. With with Cap, it's him kicking the shield in it, attaching to his arm. Yeah, that's a really cool moment. Yeah. Now I have I have two moments for mine because the first one we kind of talked about, and I wanted to give credit to something we didn't mention, which is to me the moment that I always go like, "Oh yeah," is when Winter Soldier rips out the steering wheel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's such a good like, oh no, <laughs> type of thing. But the other one I have because we didn't mention this at all is I think the chase of Winter Soldier after he shoots Nick Fury is really well done and really shot well. And my favorite moment in that sequence is when Cap is, like, turning the corner really fast and he runs into the wall and, like, the shield indents on the wall a bit. Yeah. Uh, it's really, like... And he just, just keeps running. I love it. It's so mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. It's just like, oh, he's running way too fast for these corners. And it's, we're going to show you that and then he just got to keep going. It's it's very much a callback to Cap 1. When he, right after he gets the serum and he's running in the streets. Yeah, it, no, yeah. that's true. Yeah, yeah. I actually forgot, that's a he's, good he's like yeah. he's like a new a new like a lamb getting you know running for the first that's time. That's a good scene. We'll talk about yeah. that when we talk about Cap One. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, what about most disappointing aspect? Well, you're the first one listed, so you got to tell us yours. <laughs> so <laughs> my most my most disappointing aspect is uh, the the I uh, Sam Sam <laughs> Sam Jackson's line because I know him first. <laughs> I know I know him personally. Sam, yeah, uh, is Nick Fury's line. I lost in, the last time I I trusted someone. I lost an eye. Now that I know how he lost that eye, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, stop reminding me of it. But I also know it's that so I, that was a retcon. It is, it is, because this movie. I, I, it's only like, disappointing. It's only disappointing it, because in imagine if Captain Marvel had done like the gag from Hot Tub Time Machine, where the, they have a guy who's missing an arm, and there's just so many jokes about him almost losing an arm. And then I think yeah. it ends with him like just getting an infection that has to like it has to get taken off. If mm. Captain Marvel had done that, I think it would have been more okay. Like constantly like eye, stuff coming towards Nick Fury's eye and just yeah. constantly being a joke. Like I would buy it more. It's one of those things where it's just like, do we really need to know how he lost his eye? Like, do yeah. we really yeah. need to put that in? Like I I like the I like the mantra of the I would have been fine with. I would have been fine with like a if like a captain with Captain Marvel alluding to that, but he doesn't lose the eye, you know, and um, and really it's just Nick Fury's the he's the spy. His secrets have secrets, including how he lost his eye, you know. So but yeah, uh, so yeah, that one is just kind of like but honestly, if that's my most disappointing aspect, I'm kind of like mm, this. This was a pretty good movie for me. But uh, what about well, you, Denny? My most disappointing aspect is a big, bigger <laughs> part of it, which is the third act. And, okay, I think most people, the discourse on the third act of this movie is mostly when you're negative. It's like, it's too CGI heavy. It's too big. My issue is more that, like, I think, I think the Cap stuff is very good. But I think the movie is kind of struggling to figure out what to do with the other characters. Uh, particularly, I think about how after Sam, like, does his stuff on the ship, he gets a air quotes fight with uh Rumlo, where it really isn't much it's just like him like shut up man and they fight a little bit and then yeah. Nick Fury comes and saves him yeah I don't know I think it's just a bit too sprawling of a third act to me it's good when it's focused on Bucky and Cap but the rest of it's like whatever and I guess I also like Samuel L. Jackson Robert Redford acting that's mm. about it once Redford dies it's just kind of like okay no I think that's fair it's very much a uh because like the third act is set up that Agent 13 is gonna, like, she's the one with the conflicts of Rumlow. Like, I have, has, has Falcon even met Rumlow at this point? No. That's true. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. I think maybe they fought a little bit during the bridge fight, maybe. Mm-hmm. That might have been it. Um, uh, what's, what's your most disappointing aspect, Caleb? So, Sharon Carter, everyone's favorite. Why is his favorite character? And, yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like whoa, whoa, just whoa, every whoa. time we all know why is his favorite character is Zemo, right? Zemo, Danny? right? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I so, thought it was Mephisto. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was not, Al Pacino's Mephisto. No, our our character changed. Zemo is Mephisto, but it will. Yeah, Zemo is Mephisto. Plot twist. Uh, so Al Pacino plays Zemo from an alternate timeline he's like came back in time like cable but anyway so uh, yeah caleb <laughs> yeah i just like there's not much for her to do in this movie mm -hmm. and her inclusion is always a little weird 
but they could have if they had made her a good character in other movies then it would have justified her inclusion here but yeah. they didn't um and so it's just and especially now knowing that she just turns into the power broker i'm like ah oh, so this is even more pointless yeah 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 um best surprise uh winter soldier grabbing cap's shield midair um that, after that fight that chase i would that, just mentioned yeah yeah and that to me is i was like okay this guy is like he's he's legit a threat to to everyone he's like same level of uh as cap you know like same level strength as cap um that's the one where i was like holy crap uh and also it was just it was also like a really like whoa because i don't know if anybody in prior mcu up to this point has been able to catch cap's shield like like he did it's you know one hand so i don't think Red reaches Skull out and, no. and grabs it yeah so uh so yeah like props to the to that that little bit so yeah so my surprise is more of a goofy one which is uh so in the third act uh, Robert Redford is giving his big evil villain monologue to the World Security Council, and all of a sudden, the late the I have it listed as the old lady, but one of the women who is older suddenly like jumps up, does a few backflips, and just takes <laughs> out some Hydra agents, and it's like, what is going on? And then it's revealed that it's like a very weird, fancy cloaking mask. Like Mission yeah. Impossible esque that has never been established in this movie or any other <laughs> Shield appearance, and it's Black Widow who did it. But I just remember singing to the theater and just being like, "Who is this woman? Like, what is going on right now?" And now that I know it's Black Widow, it's not as exciting, but it's still like, a, what a way to reveal that technology. And this is not to set yeah. it up at all, and just to have a little <laughs> yeah. old woman take out Hydra agents. Right? Yeah, I know. I remember. I remember seeing that in the theaters too. And just be like, what? Oh, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, when I the the whole big twist that Hydra is Shield, mm. um, I think we take for granted how like Earth shattering it was seismic. that was yeah. at the time. Yeah, and like I I also Danny watched a little bit of Agents of Shield, but that was like a big part of that show yeah. too. So it that ha- show it, basically. Like, treaded water to get to that twist like it was yes. chilling time to get to that twist yeah but both in this movie like from zemo's little powerpoint presentation on like through there um i feel like it it, it is marvel it still is marvel's best twist yeah yeah it's it's a it's a really good again one of those things thing. i really want to chase but i won't one of those things okay. <laughs> talk afterwards i I should Uh, come out with a podcast that's called bait cast and i just it's just me tossing bait out to danny the whole time what if ben platt what if ben platt played (laughs) spider-man that's that's basically it basically it's just me reading my text messages to danny like on the podcast anyways it's just me sending the gif of tom hardy going that's bait from that yeah (laughs) yeah uh anyway so most excited to see more of um most excited to meet, see more of is for Abed Nadir from Community, um, who plays an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Give me, like, I want, it's got to be Abed Nadir from Community who <laughs> playing this agent of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, what I, that's what I want. Okay. 
All right. <laughs> uh, mine is I want to see more grounded action. I think the Black Widow trailer kind of hints at that. I hope mm-hmm. I actually do get it. I don't gotcha. want it to be too goofy. Uh, I think having Taskmaster as a villain is a good choice to give me that. I think he's very Winter Soldier-esque type of yeah. thing. You know, like more of a force of nature than anything. So, right. yeah, uh, that's my that's what I'm hoping I get more of. What about you, Caleb? Yeah, this is hard because the movie's so old. And so, like, you know, the threads have been pulled already. Uh, but we I still think got Black Widow. Action. We still got Nick Fury. We still got Power Broker. We still got yeah. Sam. Yeah, still got I guess I... I guess what I would say is that I think it would be cool, like how Black Widow is um, filling in the gap between Civil War and mm-hmm. Infinity War. I think it would be cool to see if Marvel ever does a project which fills in the gap between um, this and Age of Ultron. And we kind of see mm. what Nick Fury was up to, especially now knowing that there are scrolls and like yeah. how much how much what of what he Secret- does after oh this. Oh my god, what if, what if Secret Invasion was set during that time? That'd be crazy, actually. Uh, That's such a good idea, Danny. Yeah. yeah. I just thought, yeah. I was like, we, there's no reason Secret Invasion has to be contemporary. That's ben true. Ben Mendelsohn yeah. and Nick Fury could have been hanging out for a while. Exactly, you know? yeah, because they've both already been introduced to the MCU at this point. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so cool, honestly. Just imagine. Yeah, just, it would. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Ugh. I'm a genius. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you, so, you heard it first here. So <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, you, you've heard I'm a genius. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so Caleb, give us some final thoughts and pimp your stuff. This is your time. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm really glad y'all had me on for this because this is just such a fun movie to watch, um, and especially we have so much MCU between us and the present in this movie that. Um, I feel like it can kind of be forgotten about, but it really does stand out as with the, with the action, with, um, some of the technical elements like the cinematography and the sound design with Cap's character. It really does remain my favorite Marvel movie. Um, mm. and if you liked hearing me talk about movies and superheroes and all that fun thing, you can check out my litany of other podcasts. Of course, I'm on with Danny on the Snub Club where we talk about old Oscar movies that, Got a lot of nominations, but got zero wins. Um, and we mean old right now. We, yes. we do mean old. <laughs> I still think it's, we find ways to tie it into the modern era, like talking Tim Blake about Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> Good old Tim Blake Nelson. We talked about, what we talked about Tim, from, Blake Tim Blake Nelson last Nelson. week on this podcast, actually. Yeah. I don't remember when he came up, but he did come up. He, he came up in, uh, in the green room talk because he oh, was okay. in Minority okay. Report. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We talked about... Anyway, go on. Uh, (laughs) What else do you have? Yeah, if you like comics, you can check out my comics podcast, All New 52. We just finished an episode where we were talking about our very first comics, me and my roommate. So um, you should go check that out because that was a lot of fun. And um, you can check out Hot Trash Unlimited, my movie podcast, or where we look for movies that we can ironically enjoy. Yeah, you you can listen to our Sonic episode. Danny was on there. Um, we're talking about obnoxious core. Um, and we have an episode in the vault, which we're waiting till Morbius comes out where me and Joe Ooh. talk about every single Spider-Man movie. Um, I like how you're waiting and, to Morbius and not Venom 2, even though Venom 2 is first. Oh yeah. Venom 2 is first. They've moved around so much. We yeah, recorded this last year. <laughs> and we just got the baby. Um, and Are then you can, you can find me every- Peter Rabbit too. 
Uh, maybe it, there's a lot of prime hot trash coming out right That's now. True. So we, we, <laughs> we might miss something. Um, and you can find me everywhere else on, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Caleb from the real world. Cool. cool All right. Cool. Let's do our outro. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks, thanks for, for being on, on Caleb. Caleb. You'll still thanks be with for us for having a bit, me. Though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you're uh, not leaving so quick. Anyway, go on. <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of why is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and on our website, whyiswithtydan.buzzsprout.com. We are also on YouTube, audio only, at our channel, Why Is with Ty and Dan. You can also contact us by email at whyiswithtydan at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at whyiswithtyan1, because I'm number one. You can also follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankmits for reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU. And before we totally sign off, Caleb, do you want to tell the listeners where your Letterboxd is? Oh, yeah. It's The Myth King, uh, at The Myth King on Letterboxd. Sorry, I for- my my outro needs, I need to figure out a way to streamline it. There's way too much stuff to promote. Yeah, you're, you're pretty prolific. And thank you all for listening to us. Next week, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk about the films by Kate Shortland, who's directing Black Widow. We're going to try to figure out what what are we expecting from her directorial style to pop up in the next Marvel movie? It'll be interesting to talk about. And we'll listen, you'll be here then. Catch you on the flip side. All right, catch you in the next one. Oh, oh, oh.